Get ahead of the postage rate increases this year with Stamps.com. It's like your own personal post office. Sign up with promo code PROGRAM for a four-week trial, plus free postage and a free digital scale. No long-term commitments or contracts. That's Stamps.com code PROGRAM. crashes in you know it's time to begin and wherever you are whenever you are and however you happen to be listening we are so glad you've chosen to tune in to dlc especially if you are one of our geeks and sneaks who use this podcast to power you through a workout or a run hey maybe you're doing housework maybe you're in the car on a wicked commute we got your back we're going to be in your ear holes for 90 plus minutes with gaming goodness because dlc is your downloadable commentary for the week delivered the way we love it to be and that is completely free Thanks to our sponsors this week, Squarespace, Squarespace, Gamefly, and Bloom That. They're bringing the show to you, making the show completely free to you. DLC, of course, the show, all about games. In their many forms, games played on desktops, laptops, and consoles, and also games that involve dice, luck, and cardboard. I am your host, Jeff Kanata, that's spelled with two N's and one T, and I am joined, as always, by my friend, slash co-host, Slash nemesis. The guy who just got back from hosting the Fire Festival, Mr. Christian Spicer. Hello, Christian. Hey, Jeff. I I just want to know why Andrew Jackson wasn't able to prevent Sega from leaving the console business. I think, you know, yeah. he's a real swashbuckler. I think he could have done it. I just don't get why he let it um, just go strictly to software. No one thinks about the reasons why the console <laughs> wars have happened, you know? Yeah, it's just... Ugh. What can you do? Anyway, over. This is over. <sighs> uh, anyway, we got lots of games to talk about. Uh, it's been a big week, lots of cool news, and we have an awesome guest, one of my favorite people on the internet. You know that DLC always stands for your downloadable Kanata and your downloadable Christian, but this week we're excited because DLC stands for DM, live streamer, and coach. Because from the Into the Nexus podcast, we have professional Heroes of the Storm coach, Mr. Kyle Ferguson. Hello, Kyle. Hey guys, thanks for having me on. I'm super excited to be here. I'm from the try hard section of the internet where we tend to only talk about one game in front of a live <laughs> crowd as you play it live. So it can be a little intense. This is awesome. Yeah, man. Um, well, as listeners, I hope already know, uh, I am a monthly guest on your podcast, Into the Nexus, all about Heroes of the Storm. And uh, I'm a big fan of what you do and your your you know, professional coaching on Heroes of the Storm, but you are an avid gamer of lots of different kinds. And so I thought it'd be fun to have you on our show, uh, especially this week, which is the, uh, you know, the big Heroes of the Storm 2.0 launch. So I felt, felt like it was a perfect time. Yeah. And you've brought so such a great perspective to Into the Nexus. I'm happy to give a little back. All right, man. Well, let's get into it. Let's start the show the way we always do with Story of the Week. Story of the week, it's the story of the week. Story of the week, it's the story of the week. Story of the week is the part of the show where we make our case for the most important stories that happened in the world of games this week. And you can always submit stories for our consideration using your 
hashtag on Twitter, which is DLCSOTW, or by visiting our subreddit, which is 5x5DLC.reddit.com. Some cool stories submitted this week. Uh, lots of stuff to choose from. And Kyle, since you are our guest, you get first pick. So what would you consider to be your story of the week? How could I not pick Overwatch surpassing 30 million players because they're really good at getting Overwatch players to play Heroes of the Storm? Yeah, wow, that's a big big part of what this this week and this month is about is converting those 30 million into some Heroes of the Storm players. Uh, but it's quite surprising to me. I mean, I knew that Overwatch was taking over the world and is this massive hit, but they released a graph of the player uptake in Overwatch and it's literally a straight line upward it is like yeah. the, the the you know the the classic uh we're ga- making profits graph where it's just a, an arcing line straight up uh and that is about 2 million new players a month it started with 7 million people playing Overwatch in its first week and they've hit 30 million players this is all uh, all across PlayStation 4 Windows PC and Xbox 1 that is a staggering number of people playing Overwatch. Are you uh, are you excited to see Blizzard kind of trying to leverage that game into the game that you play most? Absolutely. And the characters were already so Mickey Mouse by the time they were even shown at that first BlizzCon. They're just ready to be part of the Super Smash Bros. that is Heroes of the Storm. And... Yeah, you can say that, well, how many active players? It's still, by the best count I could find, 17 million people playing that game regularly. Uh, it's, it's, it's an incredible achievement for them. And it kind of begs the question, from my perspective, all of these upcoming announced and unannounced uh, arena shooters, first-person shooters that we know are on the horizon – how are they going to stand up against this juggernaut? Is this – I kind of feel like Blizzard has done the World of Warcraft thing again where there was a – there were some MOBAs um, – excuse me, MOBAs. Um, <laughs> there were some um, um, <laughs> uh, massively multiplayer online role-playing games, MMORPGs that were in the space. They came in, owned it, and then a lot of also-rans were – coming out, but nothing could topple the juggernaut that was wow. And I kind of feel like that's the same thing that's that's repeating itself again in the first-person shooter arena space where people were doing it before them. They just came in and completely dominated it. And now there's going to be a lot of contenders to the throne, but I feel like the throne is going to be occupied for quite a while. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's tough to identify what Blizzard does that just makes it work. And they're the closest thing to an official releaser of new sports. Mm. How did they get in that position? Their games just worked back in the day on my yellowing IBM at home that I installed a Voodoo One card onto. It just, they were okay. And and the connectivity across a phone line functioned. And I guess they just built trust over time. Yeah. And they do games very, very well. They make games real good over there at Blizzard. Uh, Christian, you are an Overwatch player an avid Overwatch player. Uh, do you feel that 30 million? Yes and no. Uh, I feel like it's, I feel it culturally. 
but I still feel like with 30 million people playing and 17 concurrent or whatever it is, I still feel like my wait time is longer than I want it to be. However, that's a total first world problem. That's just comparing a game I'll talk about later in the playlist uh, versus Overwatch, where I know so many people are playing it, but sometimes, you know, I guess I'm solo queuing if, you know, it's not quite the same as it would be in a MOBA, but I'm, I'm playing solo. And I've had three and a half minute waits between matches sometimes. So I don't understand what's happening i'm playing usually just um quick play i'm not i'm not ranked i'm not you know (laughs) that's not why i'm playing overwatch i don't need to set up a smurf account and do all that stuff right i'm just playing to have fun or i'm doing the event they have going and if i'm playing the event they have going in the arcade mode um then i usually get in pretty quickly but if i go into quick play i've had a few long queues so i you know but when i get in the games are great but it's not that like everyone and their mom is playing you're like let's play and like before you even hit q you're in a game <laughs> yeah yeah do you guys think that uh, i mean we could armchair quarterback this forever i guess but do you think that the secret to this secret sauce is the characters that they've created or just the pure mechanics that the, the shooting in this shooter feels really solid and good what do you think is the combination that that made this such a massive success kyle what do you think I think it goes back to StarCraft and Blizzard's willingness to do the extra work and comparing that to something like Command and Conquer, where ultimately your faction choice or something even completely different like Civ V, your faction choice, your leadership choice doesn't really determine anything outside of a couple units or maybe a unique look to your workers, where Blizzard always puts in that extra work to make sure everything is not just a reskin of the previous. This character is different. Their auto attack moves differently. Sure, that attack charges, but this one moves slow through the air. And those simple exchanges make it that much more interesting and give it that infinite replayability. And certainly a game like Overwatch or Heroes of the Storm is just a game with updates now that you can just camp out on. And you don't have to really move anywhere else to get that drip feed of video game goodness. Yeah, I think maybe that's the biggest change to Blizzard as a company from the World of Warcraft days where you would get a big patch, you know, maybe twice a year. Uh, and certainly the expansions would come in multi-year increments. It would, it would be a long time coming before, you know, big content would hit. They as a company have completely transformed into something. And I think honestly, you can attribute that to Hearthstone. Hearthstone is what was the, was the tide turner there of creating a, a ecosystem where updates come fast and furious and the game feels alive and is constantly evolving. And I think that there's a lot of excitement around that from the player base. You, you never can rest on your laurels because the, the game is this moving target so to speak. <laughs> All right, well, let's move on. Christian, what do you uh, what do you got as your story of the week? I think that there are several contenders here that are just, I mean, it's a very much a Christian week of news. Uh, yeah, I mean, how can I, I, I know that Colin Moriarty is Colin Was Right was a show that he had for a long time. Uh, I'm not trying to tread on Colin. It's a joke on the don't tread on me. I'm not, whatever. What I'm saying is while Colin is often right, this is the year of Christian's bizarre and bold predictions all coming true and i'm retiring from the game it's i'm retiring yeah you can't retire no you can't you can't retire at the top you gotta as we move forward you're we're gonna call you nostra spicer no i'm john elway i had a good year last year i won the championship and this year we just had a great run and now i'm gonna own some car dealerships 
<laughs> no, you know John Elway runs the team, right? He's not he's not doing car deals. But he also has some car deal. What I'm saying is <laughs> Nintendo announced the new 2DS XL as I predicted um at the end of last year beginning of this year. And I'll tell you what, man. So, uh, general stuff about the device. It's um clamshell. Doesn't have 3D, but basically picture as a little sexier version of the new 3DS XL. It has a little C-nub. It has the faster processor in it that's the same as the new 3DS. Uh, the XL screens. And then they got rid of 3D, which a lot of their games are doing anyway. Pokemon didn't it barely supported it. I think in like picture mode only. It was the only time you could use 3D in, in Sun and Moon. And it's 150 bucks. And I'll tell you what. I, I mean, I'm not going to buy one. But man, Nintendo is so good at like releasing a thing that always looks slightly sexier than the last. I was like, that's good. Oh, that looks good. The blue one. I like, <laughs> I like 150. So that's good. a deal. <laughs> yeah. I mean, the, the, uh, the 3DS right now, I guess is available for 80 bucks, but that's the smaller screen one. Um, oh no, I'm sorry. The 2DS, the, the 2DS. That's with a game though. I think bucks. too, it's a pretty good deal. The new 3DS XL costs 200 so this is coming in 50 bucks less than the new 3DS XL. Uh, and 3D, let's be honest, it's dead. It is mm. dead, dead, dead. So there's no, there's no reason to invest the extra 50 bucks in the 3DS XL, even though I really like it. I, and a lot of the games that came out right around the 3DS launch, it looked really cool and it was There fun. are some games that use it great, and the new 3DS is 3D is the best it's ever been. Like Mario Land 3D is you know, markedly harder to play without 3D, especially some of the bonus worlds. But yeah, I'm not saying you need to spend the extra 50 bucks on on 3D, but the new 3DS does it really, really well with like the head tracking to keep the 3D proper. It's, yeah. uh, I mean, it is dead, but it was a cool feature when they did it right. And this new 2DS XL, which is just announced, is going to release July 28th, which is the same day as two huge 3DS games, Metopia, which is that role-playing game where you play with Miis. So, you know, you can like, make people look like your friends and play with them in a role-playing game, a uh, Japanese-style role-playing game. And Hey Pikmin, which is the 2D version of Pikmin that's coming out exclusive to 3DS slash 2DS. Which is so weird, right? Like Super weird. We're getting uh, the new 2DS the same day two 3DS games come out, which can be played on your 2DS. <laughs> classic Nintendo, right? And, and, and to me, this news is, hey, you're absolutely right, Christian. You're... Spicedradamus is is on par is is working sp- splendidly because I predicted that DS was going to go the way of the dodo and that they were going to double down on Switch and all the groups that were all their in-house first-person development teams that were making handheld games were going to switch over to this hybrid handheld console. Nope, nope. It well, looks they, like they are definitely they, sending a strong message that 3DS is not dying no see they did and maybe kyle can back me up on this you were right you just forgot about one key thing jeff you forgot about the game boy advanced sp (laughs) you forgot the you forgot you forgot about the sp with the backlit screen you forgot about the game boy advanced micro you forgot about the wii mini you forgot about the one last thing where nintendo milks the thing with one last iteration before they put it to bed kyle back me up Oh, you can't argue with that. That is true. But is this just a huge, you know, look at the other hand magic trick as we try to supply more switches? Maybe. Maybe it's a give them something to buy. They need something to buy. They got right, something. they're going nuts. They already own Mario Kart. They bought <laughs> Zelda and they can't play it. The news right now is that they're loading them on planes to get them across the Pacific yeah. as fast as possible and like 
commuter planes. Right. Squeezing yeah, them in. Like, like that's why all the you know overhead luggage can't fit in the carry-on. You know, you got you got switches stuffed in there. <laughs> it's that sweet deal that Spirit made. <laughs> they have to kick people off the plane, kicking and screaming, in order to fit switches in those seats. Um, if they give them a switch, they wouldn't be screaming. <laughs> exactly. You know what they say about snitches too, though. Yeah, they just get switches. switches. Yeah, but I mean, for you, Christian, you said this is great. This is awesome. I mean, the the ad looks like a car, but you said you're not getting one. Why not? Is it because you have a switch and you just? Well, fulfilled? I do. I have a switch and I have a new 3ds XL. Uh, before that, I had my first entry into the. No, I, I'm lying. <laughs> I was gonna say my first entry into the 3ds line was a 2ds, but I had an OG 3ds that uh, did not survive a trip, and then I let it kind of die. You know, it, it was done. I didn't have one, and then I bought a 2ds when I found one for some, you know, jaw to the floor deal. And then I was fine with that. And then when that new 3DS came out, I was like, oh, they won me over again. And I was like, this this is the be- this is going to be the final iteration. This is the best it's ever going to be. And then I bought that. And I love it. It's a great device. And I'm still happy with that. And it still works. Um, and I still have my 2DS for my daughter to play. I, I really like the clamshell design. I like the way it's the bigger screens in a smaller um, actual device footprint and stuff like that. But for me to buy this, you know, I, I would have to hide it from my wife, which is a thing that you should never buy, right? Like, if you can't justify <laughs> it to your partner, you should not buy it. <laughs> I know, I don't want to be negative Nancy here, but I'm genuinely bummed that they're still pushing the DS as a system. Uh, it, it's It seems to me like they should double down on Switch. I want all the games that are coming out on DS to be Switch games. I don't understand why I can't just have this one console that plays all of Nintendo's titles. Give me that. Put out everything in a virtual console way on the Switch. Give me new games that you were going to put out on, on DS on Switch. There's no real reason for it anymore. The DS bit that was so exciting when the first dual screen console came out has been completely abandoned because the 3DS killed it because of that 3D top screen where it forced you to make all of the game's main visuals in the top screen and having the bottom screen as glorified touchscreen menu system. Whereas the original DS, it was very dynamic and it could do all kinds of crazy stuff. You had games where you turned them on its side and you were playing it like a book and it did all kinds of cool, crazy things. That functionality has been completely thrown out the window because of the the top 3D screen. And that's not going to change with this 2DS. So if you're only going to use one screen anyway, basically to make your game, you don't need a DS. Just make it on Switch. It's better. It's got a touch screen too. I, 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 this that's bums me out. That's a, that's a problem for him. And Jeff, relax. This is going to be, man, you already got me making into predictions, but this doesn't count because this isn't the official prediction show. They're, it's done. The DS line is done. Uh, it might come back eventually. They'll, they might roll out a couple of games for it at E3, but it is done. It is rotting on the vine. This is the last low-cost version of the device that Nintendo's going to make to roll out with these games that were already in development. That was them hedging their bets if the Switch wasn't a success. The Switch is a success right now. It's selling really well. They're going to come out with an iterative divine, uh, design of that down the line, and this is the low-cost thing to give to your kids. It has an incredible library of games that 
are all cheap now as well, and you can give them this thing. It's clamshell. It doesn't have 3D, so you don't have to worry about kids, quote-unquote, hurting their eyes. They can throw it in their bag, take it to school, play Animal Crossing, uh, play Link Between Worlds, play Mario Maker, play all these really, really great games, and it lasts them a year to six months, and then when the Switch is out, they'll, they'll piggyback over to that system. I love how the proof that you have that the DS is dead is that they just put out a new DS. Like that's, that's, that's your key data point of like, well, it finally happened, guys. They they put out a new version of this, so it's definitely dying. It's like Resident e- Evil movies. <laughs> <laughs> the final. That's awesome. Look uh, at every other Nintendo handheld. There's a pattern, buddy. There's a there's a pattern. I hear you. I see the pattern. I just wish you know, past wasn't precedent. I wish there was a little bit of learning from the past. But whatever. hey, Sega doesn't do what Nintendo. Nintendo do what Nintendo. Do you know what I mean? Like they're their own wild card. Well, my story of the week uh, is the Call of Duty World War II trailer, which dropped uh, earlier last week. Uh, we talked a little bit about it, uh, Call of Duty World War II, when we heard confirmation that it was happening. But the actual trailer with in-game footage uh, hit this week and um, showed us some glimpses into what the campaign is going to be about. Uh, it's gonna it's gonna be all World War II guys. I mean, it's, it's World War II stuff like storming the beaches in Normandy. Uh, you've got your you know you've got kind of what you expect from a World War II game. I guess it's gonna follow um, a character by the name of Ronald Red Daniels, who is a rookie private in the First Infantry Division, known as the Fighting First. Uh, it takes place in 1944 and 45. It will have a new Nazi zombies mode that will actually have some story instead of just being a horde mode wave shooter. Uh, that's kind of cool. Did you guys get a chance to look at this trailer? Kyle, did you? are you a Call of Duty guy? Are you interested? I did play Call of Duty Modern Warfare, but back, back in the day, of course, the CD into the computer for the Call of Duty original game, which was just special and it's hard to say what that was you know for the very first time i feel like in a game you had people turn around and go go daniels go and i'm like yeah get out there oh i'm daniels oh oh, oh, fantastic and you got to be this main character as everyone basically yells at you in the in the fever pitch of battle it's very much that uh edge of tomorrow kind of feel right and they're recapturing that it's tempting from that side it's all the battles we've seen a hundred times but then again it's been done a hundred times so why not just keep doing the good stuff and i'm happy to see as a fan of history that they're continuing into the battle of the bulge from normandy and not just kind of doing the worldscape though i certainly remember the russian campaign being the most intense yeah it's gonna i think gonna be very interesting to compare the uh, Storming the Beach of Normandy sequence from this new game to whatever game it was. I don't even remember. Was it a Call of Duty? Was it a Medal of Honor? That was like, oh my god, we finally achieved saving Private Ryan in a video game. Uh, I don't even remember which one it was, but I remember that moment in gaming where it's like, wow, we've really gotten there. I think, just judging by this trailer, the tech that they're bringing to bear on this, we are so far beyond where we were at that time. I think maybe... It will be uh, much more breathtaking and visceral than obviously we'd ever been able to do before. But I think it's going to be fascinating to do a one-to-one comparison of that exact sequence and how they how we're able to do it now versus then. So that's kind of cool. Christian, what about you? Are you uh, are you into this? 
I think the trailer looked great. I mean, Call of Duty has a history of phenomenal trailers. I know um, the the last one, Advancer, Infinite, Infinite Warfare, um, was their, their initial trailer was a little lackluster, but the one they showed at Sony's E3 press conference was kind of right back into that traditional Call of Duty, just sensational trailer. And I think this trailer was, was fantastic. It, it's at that point now where people are nostalgic for World War II, and it does. It hits those Saving Private Ryan moments that has effective use of slow motion as things, you know, bombs go off. And there's yelling. <laughs> I mean, it really checks all the boxes. Will it be a compelling campaign? I, you know, I don't know. I don't know how many surprises can be in there, but um, I'm certainly willing to give it the benefit of the doubt, you know? Okay. So this is normally where we would move on, but, you know, I got to give you, Christian, since you earned it, you have been so spot on with your predictions, and I'm humbled by your prognostications. I'm going to give you a second story of the week, Christian, because I know, I know you got a good one. Something you're pretty, I'm guessing, pretty excited about. Yes. Oh my gosh. Have you played this iOS game? It's called Tap Taps. Anyway, the way it works is you have to pay $5 to download it. And then after that, it's a dollar every time you play it. But when you play it, you get to tap something. And if you tap it right, Forza Horizon 3 Hot Wheels expansion. Holy moly. Out of left field. This thing looks incredible. I'm never going to say you should buy a season pass for anything. But this Forza Horizon 3 season pass seems to be one that if every season pass was like this, people would be, always say, dude, buy the season pass. It's part of the season pass. They just had their Blizzard Mountain was the last big expansion. It is phenomenal. And this looks absolutely incredible. It's new islands all connected by classic Hot Wheels tracks type things with loops and hard banks. And there's classic Hot Wheels cars in it that are just Straight, you know, the, not the obviously Hot Wheels does real cars, but this has the made up for Hot Wheels cars, like the hot rod uh, with the V8, you know, the cylinders popping out of the hood and the bone shaker, the twin oh mill, the rip rod. So good. It's so and I don't know the details, but they have like a stunt swap feature where it, they implied that you're kind of able to change out parts of the track like you would with real Hot Wheels. I'm not sure how that works in the real First, world. You take that you take that plastic thing and then you whack your sibling with it. You of course, right. And then, you and then your parent it. takes it from you, so you have to build the track differently Yeah, because exactly. uh, you're missing the long straight piece. Right. Man, you watched this trailer, right, Jeff? I did, and... <laughs> it looks so good. I want to love this. I, this is the very much the coolest thing I've seen them do. And I love the embracing of the whimsy, the idea of, yeah, drive inside a Hot Wheels car. And they look – we're treating Hot Wheels with the same level of care and attention to detail that we would – with, you know, the, the coolest Lamborghini on the market, right? It's, it's, we're going to make it all perfect, a one-to-one ratio of this stupid little matchbox toy, but Hot Wheels, Hot Wheels, don't, don't cross brands here. I know, whatever. But, uh, (laughs) I, I, you know, I constantly want Forza to just be burnout. Uh, it's not, but I feel like loop-de-loops is pretty close. Loop-de-loops. It's, it's pretty close. Um, also, sidebar, the creators, oh gosh, they did, um, oh, what was that golf game? Destruction Golf. Um, it's founders of Original Criterion and, and Burnout. They're making a crash game as a I know, it's like game. a standalone crash game. I, I can't remember what it's called. I think it was it's like S. 12 bucks or something. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, I might be into that. Might something be into else that. to look out for. 
yeah but dude forza horizon 3 the hot wheels expansion it's uh it's soon it's coming out this this month may 9th and uh ooh, oh i will be playing that it looks great i just can't believe that racing people designed a whimsical looking game it's so there's a dinosaur at the end <laughs> <laughs> yeah there is and why shouldn't there be there should always be a dinosaur at the end that's what i say uh all right, guys, uh, let's move on now to uh, the playlist. But first, I want to thank our first sponsor, which is Squarespace. If you're looking to make your next move on the Internet, maybe you're uh, starting a new job. Maybe you want to advertise for something. Maybe you want to sell something. There are infinite reasons to use the web. Your next move should be with Squarespace because Squarespace is going to let you make a beautiful website, a unique website, something that doesn't look like everything else on the web. And they're going to let you do that quickly and easily with very little friction. Make your next move with Squarespace. Build a beautiful website using award-winning designer templates You just plug and play elements like an online store. So easy to do. It's all drag and drop. What you see is what you get. And you can build using their tools completely free. All you got to do is go to squarespace.com slash DLC. And then you can start building your site. You don't even have to put in a credit card. They're not going to auto charge you. You can just create what you want to create. See how easy their tools are. And then build your website from the ground up. It will really not take you very long because you don't have to learn any HTML. It's all... You know, just drag and drop. And if you have any problems or questions, they have 24-7 customer service. Uh, you'll get a free domain name if you sign up for a year. Build your website. Make your next move. And then if you decide to buy, at that point, once you've got a finished product that you love, plug in our promo code, which is Jeff sent me, all one word, J-E-F-F-S-E-N-T-M-E, and you'll get 10% off your purchase. You'll show support for this show. You'll let them know that it's a good idea to help make DLC happen, and uh, you'll have an awesome way to make your next move. So squarespace.com slash DLC, use that promo code Jeff sent me, get yourself on the web in a really cool, unique, great looking way. I'm not going to make any bones about it, guys. Kyle is here to talk about Heroes of the Storm 2.0 first and foremost, so we're starting there. You know what? I don't talk about Heroes on this show very often, so you guys can get excited because uh, Heroes 2.0 came out this week, and it is... Well, Kyle, what is your take on Heroes 2.0? It is so colorful. They (laughs) took everything that was behind the paywalls and basically gave it out for free or gave you ways to get it for free. And now uh, no one looks lame on the field. They just, it's fantastic. The game is wonderfully filled out. The competitive scene is booming. Uh, There's nothing to dislike. (laughs) I agree. I agree. I'm having a blast with it. I mean, there's a huge influx of new players, it seems to me. Um, Yes, that is true. All kinds of new promotions where, you know, they're rewarding people in Overwatch for stuff that you do in Heroes of the Storm. They're giving away huge bundles of characters for free just for logging on. It seems like they're doing a massive push. And I don't think the game has ever been better. It's 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 really fun. There's a new map, Hanamura, which is based on an Overwatch map. And a new hero, Genji, based on an Overwatch character. Uh what are your feelings about that new map? It certainly brings a lot of new mechanics into the game. It does, and it's something exciting for us who have just been on the game since its launch. But 
something that's kind of getting lost in 2.0 is the longevity, how much this game has been updated. I mean, this is not just a big pile. Here you go, everybody. See, in a year, they're going to keep going week to week. And now they've added in map rotations. So for those of you who want to get really heavy meta-wise, as those maps change out, because there are multiple maps in this MOBA, different combinations of them mean different heroes rise to the top. So if you follow that sort of analytical side of things, it's a really exciting time to be making content for this game. Christian, we got a legit Heroes of the Storm expert in the house. So I thought it would be fun to... to I, you guys actually did on your on your show into the Nexus this week. You guys did a, a sort of a an, uh, in the comic book parlance. You did an issue one, right? You did a reboot back to episode. I mean, you still have the right number in your episode, but it's as if it's a jumping on point for people, right? Uh, and you had uh, some great suggestions for people that are just joining the game. I would love to do something similar here because I suspect that most of our listeners haven't played it or maybe are curious about it. And Christian, you are somebody that uh, doesn't really have an interest in this game. So I wonder if there are any ways in for you that would be interesting or uh, any questions you might have. I am heroes curious. Um, for, <laughs> for me, and I don't know if I can afford Kyle, so I'm glad he's on our, our podcast. So I just That's how we, we do it, Kyle. I don't know if you know. We invite guests on and then we just make them do their job for us. <laughs> Oh, classic. I mean, that's how the T-1000 was designed, after all. <laughs> we are oh, the no. Terminator of video game, or video game podcasts. <laughs> um, I mean, honestly, for me, what kept me out of it, there's two things. And one is my personality, Moth to a Flame. Uh, new game is out. I got to go over here, and I, I just don't have the time to devote to something that requires me learning a new skill set. Whereas... Um, Overwatch is a pretty traditional skill set of games that I'm used to, and that's easier for me to slot into that, where I was never an RTS player. And then so learning a MOBA um, required work in terms of the, the skill foundation. But then, Kyle, the biggest issue for me, aside from Moth to a Flame, was that just the fundamental dexterity. I've never been a killer um, PC gamer on mouse and keyboard, and getting my left hand to do anything that I wanted it to do at the appropriate time and knowing all of my buttons. So from someone who, who plays, you know, very competitively and knows the game, is there, do any of these mice that I see advertised to me via Instagram or Facebook that have all the buttons on them or the analog controller, like all these weird looking controllers, do those things work? Is there a way into the game that way? Or I just need to pony up and, you know, slap my left hand with the ruler and get it to work. I do know a lot of people that use mice button on the sides, very much just coming straight from World of Warcraft. And that knowledge serves them well over here because Heroes is a game of building a comp where you're going to have a tank and a support to some degree and then the DPS to fill out the rest of it. For the most part, though, it'll come down to using them fingers and hitting that Q through R and maybe the one through four as you add on new abilities at each level. Yeah, there's literally four buttons, Christian. I, I literally four. I, Jeff, I know. I maybe I'll play you know how, sometime. You know how on a controller there's like X, Y, A, and B. In there's four buttons, and your thumb can figure them all out. On the keyboard, you have actually a finger for each button. You I'm not saying you're wrong. Do you remember when Nintendo introduced the Wii, and they talked about how the Wiimote was to rectify the problem of controllers being too complicated for people that didn't grow up with them, and they yeah. could just play it? I, I get it. My fingers should be able to work. 
they can't. I'll, maybe I'll stream it sometime, and I'll just put instead of on my face, I'll put the camera on my hand. Like I look down constantly. It's I'll play with you, Jeff, if you want to go down and rank. I mean, let's do this. Let's pony up. <laughs> you know, put your money where your mouth is. I'll have my finger, my camera on my key, so you can see I'm trying. And it is, it's bad news. Well, you're not a brand new gamer, so you have some connections to make. And you said you play Overwatch. So is that just from, you know, growing up Halo down the line and just shooters are ready to go? Yeah, well, so Overwatch, I'm I'm literally just WASD. And then I have the an, uh, an Overwatch mouse, actually. And I have everything else mapped to the side buttons on it. So I have, you know, f- five buttons active on the mouse and then i can i can wasd okay but for some, it's the same buttons it's i know but for some reason having it Q. not be tied to movement i'm i'm owning up to my incompetence here jeff i'm not saying you're wrong i'm just saying the, so i'll go i'll even go this far this is the most embarrassing thing i think i've ever said on this podcast uh well, that's saying something. i know right uh i bought typing of the dead when it was on steam sale a couple years ago it's uh you know um House of the Dead, Sega, but instead of shooting people with the light gun, you're typing. I can type. For some reason, playing a game of typing, I was a far worse typer. I just get in my head about doing this thing on the keyboard when I'm playing a game, and I can't like give me a, a you know a legal memo that needs to be done by 5 p.m. I will bang that thing out like 100 words per minute. Typing of the Dead, 30 words per minute to kill this zombie shambling toward me. I die. I can't do it. What about Diablo? Diablo, Have you I played Diablo. Diablo, I got through. I got through vanilla Diablo three on normal. Okay, on console or computer? Computer. Okay, okay, cool. So you have locked camera in Heroes of the Storm, where you can basically have a Diablo view of the entire game. And I would suggest putting you on something like Li Ming, where you can very much play a Diablo, actually a Diablo character, the wizard from Diablo. And you don't have to do a lot of extra stuff. You're going to be aiming spells just like you did that game, killing things that come at you. It'll be pretty easy. It's not the micro-intensive, auto-attacky, body-block things that the rest of your team will have to be taking care of. You know, Maybe it's a, a fantasy thing and just finding... I play a lot of Dungeons & Dragons, so finding that it character for you might be the thing that gets you in. So... Jeff, this is a question to you that then Kyle can hopefully shed light on. Because I saw you tweeting, Jeff, about when 2.0 came out and, you know, new players, but quality of play was going down. And then you were saying new players don't pick these characters or this character, like go with something like this. And I understand maybe from a competitive standpoint that side of things. But Kyle, isn't the appeal of this game that I'm supposed to pick the shiny that sparkles for me the most? Like, aren't I supposed to be like, oh, this dude looks cool. I want to play as this dude. And then when I play as this person or when I play as um, my favorite Overwatch character, everyone's like, Kenji, oh, Kenji's for pros only, you idiot. And I'm like, well, I just wanted to run around as Kenji for a little bit. But that's not okay. It's right, and you're in, you're in quick play there for Overwatch as well, and they're getting angry about that? No, 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 I'm saying, I'm saying playing as my favorite Overwatch character in Heroes. Or like when you go in to play Heroes, and I just want to pick the character I think looks cool or sounds neat. But that's not a character that I should play because that's a hard character There's, to play. Well, I, I think the problem here is that Jeff uh, didn't quantify his tweet as saying perhaps Hero League. Right. Yeah. And there's there are different different modes of play, right? Just like there is in Overwatch, and you're welcome to play whatever character you want in Quick Match, and that's where you should hang out most of the time. In fact, if you're a new player to Heroes of the Storm, just jump into some versus AI matches, and then you don't have to. Nobody's going to get mad at you 
uh, when you're, you know, because the, you're just playing against AI. You can even play by yourself against AI, I think, right? Can you just jump in, uh, have all of the other players be AI? Um, so you shouldn't feel that pressure when you first start out. If you're, if you're, if you've played, you know, just a few matches and you're Can trying we to jump this into to a universal you now it just feels very personal. <laughs> <laughs> it is a universal you. And I, I you know I want more people to play that game. I do. I feel like it, the influx of new players is a positive thing and I want people to fall in love with the game in the way that I have and clearly Kyle has as well. And I'm not trying to say oh you know don't play this character. Play the character that you think is cool and and have fun. I'm saying that my tweet was about a very specific situation. Uh, that is a little farther down the line. But yeah, do the thing that's cool because there's a lot of cool in there and there are a lot of characters that behave in very, very different ways. And maybe maybe we should, you know, I, I don't want to talk about this forever, but maybe we should have Kyle say some just general things. If you're a brand new player, if you've never played a MOBA before, if you've never played Heroes of the Storm before, what do you recommend? What character do you think people should jump into? What, you know, booting up Heroes of the Storm for the first time, what are your recommendations? I think let's start this with Overwatch because it's such a great place to start, not only with promotions that are actively running, the player base there bursting at the 30 million, but also, you know, Christian here coming from there as well. The characters from Overwatch are extremely one-to-one nearly. I mean, Zarya is probably the most change up. You got Zarya, Genji, and Tracer at the moment, and they all play pretty close. And that knowledge that you've gathered from Overwatch will serve you well in Heroes of the Storm. And Think about when, when you get that. Oh, yeah, Lucio, of course. Well, I ban him every time. That's why he's not. <laughs> right. He's madness. Lucio is so powerful in Heroes of the Storm right now. But that knowledge that you've gathered in Overwatch to note this is a payload map, this is a hold the point map, those things are going to serve you really well in Heroes, particularly when you get into the later drafting environment. Just like Overwatch, Ultimately, your investment in the game, your initial time with it, is going to be used learning all the characters. If you don't know what's running at you, you're going to die to whatever weird thing they do. So at some 60 characters now, that could be a pretty heavy investment. You just need to find someone you're passionate about first and foremost. Don't let your friends, you know, feral or uh, restoration druid you just because they need that for their guild. You got to pick out what you're passionate about so you have the interest and the energy to make that level of investment. And then just like Overwatch, you may note that that point control map, it goes pretty darn poorly when you have nothing but Genji and Hanzo's because they're fast-moving, low-health characters. Whereas even if you had zero assassins dealing damage, if you filled that point with Zarya's and Reinhardt's for the entire game, you're going to at least hold it out. And applying that general knowledge will do you really well. It's a great time to get in because the map pool is currently reduced. You're going to be able to see a lot of the same maps, really get a feel for those. Of course, we have our general starting characters like Rainer. We call him Two-Button Terry around here because he's not that fancy. You only really use your Q actively, and then you just spam your W whenever you get a chance, Lily being another one of those. But for me, if I were to get into this game right now, I'd look for my D&D equivalent. I'd want Skeleton King. I'm a, I'm a tall guy, 6'4", and the way he walks with a giant mace and swinging it and busting tanks up, that's what I love doing. So for you, Christian, like what connections can we make across other games? Or particularly, I mean, if you play Blizzard games, which heroes have interested you 
that we can find that initial jive with. Yeah, I mean, it, uh, one, I think you corrected me, Jeff, but I was saying Kenji, wasn't I? I just you that, are. Yeah. That's a I corrected you. Uh, kid in my daughter's preschool. <laughs> Not uh, <laughs> not an Overwatch character. Does he does he have sweet shurikens? Also needs sword? healing. He yeah. does. He definitely needs <laughs> healing. You let him out there on the playground alone, and I'm like, Estelle, <laughs> heal, heal. He has such a small health pool, that kid. <laughs> <laughs> but he is mobile. He is mobile. <laughs> I, I mean, from this, I feel like my gut would make me want to play Tracer. I like Tracer in Overwatch. I think she's a cool character. Um, she plays exactly the same, dude. It's so cool. Okay, sure. And you get, and instead of like. Oh my gosh, there's somebody behind me I didn't see. They killed me. You can see the person behind you that's about to kill you. That's what I like about so, it. So because this is about me, and again, I love that you guys love the game. I'm not poo-pooing the game. I think the best thing I can say, specific, not universal you, that maybe will make sense to specific you, Jeff Kanata, is I am to Heroes of the Storm the way you are to Forza Horizon 3. Yeah, I get it. I see it. I, I respect it. it. I wish that I could love it, but it's just not burnout. <laughs> <laughs> if only Heroes of the Storm was burnout, we'd all be happy. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I think the takeaway from this, I don't know how useful this conversation was or not. I hope it was. But uh, I think the takeaway is that if you are Heroes Curious, it's a it's a really awesome time to join the game. I mean, I'm not doing an advertisement for the game, but I, I genuinely love it. And, and Kyle's here because he loves it. And I think that for me, it really is the first time that I have played something and there's lots of games like this but it's just the first time for me that i've gotten the joy that i get up out of it is in my own personal skill level going up not because i leveled up a fictional character in a fantasy world which is a very fun joyous part of gaming too but i am actually getting better with my own skills and those skills aren't just how well i'm clicking although that's part of it it is, moreover, the judgments that I'm making, the decisions, the pool of knowledge that I'm drawing from, the understanding of how another human being is likely to behave based on what I've seen before. That is such a fun thing to garner in your life, to, to like have that, that, just that knowledge and, and skill level to me is, is such a joy. It's really special. It's that band of brothers moment where there's all the explosions going off all over the field, but there's the one sniper that the entire group is just focused on dealing with. And that's when you find that guy on the enemy side that's amazing. And even though, you know, cinematically, there's just noise everywhere. You and him are battling. You know, it's a real person. I mean, that's why I became so enthralled with games like this growing up. And ultimately, you know, that passion led to the most bizarre career in the world, in my opinion, being a full-time coach for a game like this. Okay, well, we can move on from there. I, I, I appreciate everybody indulging us the uh, the time to spend on this game, which is it's genuinely my favorite game to play. Um, but, Kyle, you've been playing a lot other of uh, several other games. In fact, uh, I want to point out one that I've heard a lot of people buzzing about. I don't think I can play it because it's friggin' scary, and it's called Outlast 2. I'm paying my dues here, uh, back to my wife. She is a horror movie aficionado. She loves them. She does the Five Nights at Freddy's for unknown reasons, plays most horror games that come out. She's currently making her way from through Resident Evil 7, and since, since she's doing that, and I'm just getting to sit and watch 
and not watch at certain times, kind of out of the corner of my eye, I have to pay up now and be the one to play Outlast 2 because she played Outlast 1. <laughs> How's that working out for you? It's uh, it's horrifying. It's disturbing, of course. It's something that Outlast does very well. They're very much... They're a bit Saw-ish in their, uh, in their horror. Mm-hmm. But there is a problem with Outlast 2, and I'm currently also working on Dark Souls. Just finished one, moved on to two recently. It kind of has that feel to it of this was impossible without knowledge in the first place. Mm. And so you enter an area, and they're puzzles. You know, it's a, it's a stealth game, ultimately. And the camera system with the red light is horrifying, and everyone's eyes glow. Even if they're not monsters, they look like monsters when you have that screen up. But when you enter one of these puzzle zones and have to get the key for the door that's on the far side and it's hidden in one of the little offices or something like that, you'd, you're going to lose. And you're going to lose repeatedly trying to solve that puzzle and eventually you're stumble through. Whereas in Outlast 1, it was kind of like uh, Assassin's Creed, the original, where if you messed up, sure, you had to run for about five minutes straight, but you were still able to recover from that mistake and keep the gameplay going. Whereas here, you're dead when yeah. they get when they catch you and you're going to restart and it breaks that wall in the end and starts to make things unscary. Hmm. So you're not loving it. Uh, it's the, the jump scares. I don't love at all, of course, <laughs> but those are part, those are part of the territory. I think the story, you know, I'm probably about a fourth of the way through it. I think it's going to be very strong. I love that. They actually added some monster level monsters in there this time, but when it comes to the actual gameplay, kind of like Machine for Pigs was a step back from the confusion of amnesia. Same thing's going on here. You're just going to memorize the levels. I would be, I wouldn't be surprised if this becomes a speedrunner classic very quick. Now you mentioned uh, playing Dark Souls and starting on Dark Souls Two, and certainly a lot of people would relate those games to that kind of thing I was talking about with your player skill. Are you finding it scratches the same kind of itch that you find from playing MOBAs? Uh, a bit, right? Like, it's it's always that satisfaction of they loop you around, you end up in an early area, and you just happen to face that boss as a minion, and then you go down to the fiery pits, and now you're fighting 20 of them. That was a boss in the early level. Mm-hmm. And that is a very satisfying thing. But more so, it's it's just a slow, methodic, mess-up, think-about-it kind of game that is a good break from my daily work, which is Heroes of the Storm. Same reason I got so into Darkest Dungeon about a year ago. Mm-hmm. So you like a, you t- take a break by beating yourself up with very difficult games. Right. It, it, if people say, you know, you play these hard games, then you go relax and play hard games, but it's just such a huge tonal shift. Also, I'm not playing them on stream, so you know I'm not being called out for missing lethal or uh, fat rolling, as it's called in Dark Souls, as I know that would very much upset my Twitch chat. <laughs> um, you also been playing Mass Effect Andromeda and uh, that's a game that I had a lot of problems with um, I was very critical of that game are you are you a Mass Effect fan? I am, uh, yeah it, it's impossible to regather what the first and second one did and not only as just games and story and the husks and the reapers and uh, harbinger 
as these fantastic characters and monsters. But the fact that you couldn't romance Tally in the first one, then you couldn't the second one, I got like this double game, like true relationship. It's always weird when you play a game like Witcher and people are just throwing themselves at you because it's just one contained game. And like, well, no, I don't quite deserve this relationship yet. Hey, hang on, I didn't check all the boxes. I didn't work as hard as I did back in KOTOR mm-hmm. for the day to get that kiss out of Bastila. Awesome. But in the end, it it falls a little flat, and I'm sad, and I feel a little burned. Yeah, yeah. It's interesting that they say they're going to continue to patch it, and it, it is going to become one of these evolving games <laughs> as well. Um, is, is there any part of you that wants to set it aside and come back to it after things have changed a bit? Tempting. I don't think Ryder as a character was who I wanted them to be, mm. but I'm not sure... After playing Fallout 4, I just don't think that maybe for RPGs, having my main character talk is the right way to go. Yeah. There's a voice in my head. And granted, you know, in old games uh, like Baldur's Gate and stuff, sometimes you'd be like, yeah, let's go do that. And you click the, yeah, let's go do that button. The guy would be like, yeah, as if we're going to do that. And you're like, whoa, no, no, no. That's never what I meant. And I feel like by doing these mini statements, not actually selecting the full text of what you want to say, you end up sometimes in conversations you don't want to have in the first place or it comes out wrong or the imagination's just too powerful in many cases interesting um going back to uh outlast um in the uh chat room uh, r krell says i'm more terrified of playing outlast out of vr than i was playing resident evil 7 in vr oh and that's all i needed to hear for me to never play outlast <laughs> <laughs> because resident evil 7 in vr is one of the most uh, pulse-pounding experiences I've ever had. Oof, that's rough. Intense. Intense! Did uh, Resident Evil 7 do the teleport around, or were you actually mobile? No, you move. Uh, oh. You, you move, and you hide, and you crouch, <laughs> and, and terrifying things are happening all around you. Uh, yeah, I... it, It's impressive, actually. There's a, there's a bunch of options in that game of how to do movement, so depending on your comfortability level, you can change... You know, if you if it moves in increments, if it kind of blacks out a little bit as as it moves, uh, but I ended up playing it mostly like I would a normal first person shooter, um, and I never really had any nausea issues with it. So, um, I, kudos to them for figuring that out. About fifteen minutes into Outlast, they introduce the Alt button, so you can look backwards while you run, and that <laughs> really kind of sums up what sort of horrors you'll be facing in there. No kidding. I thought you never look back. Never look back. That's right. Cool. I, that, that's my strategy is just <laughs> to run for it as fast as possible and not look at all the spooky stuff. That's how the lady trips on the branch on the, in the forest and falls because you looked back and then the yeah. thing gets to her. Uh, anyway, uh, Christian, before we get to your playlist, uh, I want to talk about our second sponsor because it is a sponsor that lets you have an expanded playlist every week, right? This is a this is a benefit to your life. You are a user of GameFly, the uh, online video game and now movie rental service. It allows you to save money and play more games, right? You use it. Yeah, I want it. Uh, you know be half of what I am at the, to this show, which people say I'm not anything anyway. Uh, <laughs> but it, it literally is how I keep up with gaming, especially during the busy seasons. And it's, it's a true lifesaver for me to be able to play the amount of games that I'm able to play each year and not, um, you know, 
withdraw money from my children's college funds. <laughs> yeah, uh, they have over 9,000 titles to choose from. They are the leading video game rental service. And there are a, a variety of ways to do it. You can try games before you buy them. Uh, or you can just play a game through and then never have to buy it at all. You can keep games as long as you want. They never have any late fees for you to worry about. And you can cancel your subscription at any time. It is truly a way to play more games while spending less money. That's a pretty amazing thing. And because you listen to our show, we're going to hook you up with a free premium 30-day trial Right now, all you got to do is go to GameFly.com slash DLC. That premium trial will let you check out two games or movies at a time. And the only way to get the, that offer is by going to GameFly.com slash DLC. So check it out for 30 days for free. You can get two games right now of their over 9,000 titles. Christian, you have a lot of luck getting uh, you know the, the newest, latest, best from, from them, right? The, new games that come right out, you, you queue them up and they come to your house. Yeah, I, I live in Los Angeles, and I prepare my queue to get you know to see what I want to play and what's coming. And they have a great feature showing the games that are coming out. And uh, for older game, games that are already out, it shows you their kind of availability. So if I see a game is currently low availability, I'm like, okay, well, I don't, I'm, I'm not going to worry with that right now. Persona Five's coming out next week. I'm going to put that number one, so I'm ready to go. It's like anything else; you got to prep your queue, and then sit back and let the games come. <laughs> So be that guy. Play more games, save money. Gamefly.com slash DLC to get your free premium 30-day trial to see if you like it. All right. Back to the show. Let's get to your playlist because I know you've been playing some cool stuff, including Mario Kart 8, which is kind of the biggest release of the week. Man, it's so good, you guys. It's so good. Is it so good based on how good it was already on the Wii U? Yeah, or is it so good probably. beyond that? So I, I Mario Kart 8 on the Wii U I thought was incredible. I bought the DLC for it. I thought it was a really, really well-executed DLC. Uh, the tracks were great. The original tracks were great. The DLC was great. What Mario Kart 8 on the Wii U was lacking was a compelling battle mode. And Mario Kart 8 Deluxe comes out with all of the DLC from the Wii U version plus a really stellar battle mode. Like, this isn't going to pull you away from Heroes or something like that, right? Like, be the new eSport that takes over the world. But it is a lot of fun. Um, the new modes, Shrine Thief, I think, or Coin... I, there's a... I don't know them all. I, let me start, actually, by saying the things I don't like. I, so then I can just heap praise on it. I will get the few issues I've had with it out of the way. Um, online... Nintendo's online service on the Switch is still a joke and, and frustrating. And I know it's free right now. They haven't rolled out the pay thing. But it is impacting this game. I've had a hard time playing with friends, like having one or two friends, and then going and having randoms join to fill out. And I've had a really hard time playing battle mode online just solo. For whatever reason, I can get in and do races just fine. But battle mode, I think I'm at a 50% connect rate or drop rate, which is very frustrating. Um so that's one that's been the, the biggest issue and why I don't know as much about battle mode uh, because I haven't been able to play as many games. And then my daughter and I, four-year-old, because this also introduces assisted driving modes where it can have helps you stay on the course, it helps you auto-accelerate, and it also has tilt control. The frustrating thing is that all of that is on by default, and it's a little counterintuitive how to turn it off if you don't see it the first time to turn it off. But the pro is I get to play with my daughter who has steering assist and auto acceleration on 
and now I'm playing competitive Mario Kart with a four-year-old, and she's loving it. The nip. Are you playing? Are you playing like uh, one person holds one Joy-Con, the other person holds the other Joy-Con? Yes, that, we are yeah. playing Joy-Con sideways. And this will be the last nitpick I have. It's not really about the game. It's about the system. My God, that is horrible. Yeah. It is so bad. Like, atrocious. Even in her little hands, she is not a fan of the controller. She asked if she could have the the real controller is what she called it. (laughs) Yeah. You're like, we all want the real controller, but this is a life lesson. Right. Right. And um, (laughs) it's not as simple as, you know, you don't just pop off the Joy-Cons and play. You pop off the Joy-Cons, then you find the wrist strap adapters that make the shoulder buttons function, and and then you play. Yeah, Um, which is, by the way, where do you keep those? Because, you know, that's what we all need. Yeah, You're not going to the party and, like, just setting this thing out and uh, having it ready to go, right? Because you have these little attachments. And then the controllers themselves, this actually led me to call Nintendo to get my left Joy-Con fixed. Like, I had just kind of been dealing with it, like, well, it's not that bad, using my Pro Controller whenever I could. Um, And then when it's attached to the device itself, it hadn't been bad. Playing like this, I had to sit maybe four feet from the console to have reliable connectivity. So the number, if you need it, 1-800-255-3700. It was painless. It's free overnight shipping. They give you a label. You need to provide your own box. And I'm getting my left Joy-Con fixed that said this is in my opinion i think i i truly think in trying to keep nostalgia from getting in the way the best version of the best mario kart ever made it's cool so good what'd you say oh just dang that's that is a hefty praise there been many it's 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 phenomenal the new tracks that they've introduced are fun and rewarding and and beautifully designed in a way that you know few companies can do and then the way that they've smartly brought back old tracks from old games like the love and care they put into making these versions and this is true for the wii u version as well but they put into remastering or reimagining these tracks is something that they didn't need to do they could have easily just said you know here's moo moo farm you know go to town uh, and it's still the same track that you know and love, but it, it looks amazing the way they kind of filled out the world and the way they the, the cows are in it and just the way it looks where you know the turns, but it in no way looks like an old course. Like you're not playing through it and you think, oh, this is one of the old courses. It doesn't compare to the new, the new tracks in any way, shape, or form. And then um, they, the, the biggest change from the Wii U version to this version for single player for Grand Prix is that you can now hold two items and you can do the old Mario Kart thing of trailing one behind you, which is a godsend when you're in first place and there's a red shell coming your way. <laughs> so it's nice. They to have took that. that away. It was gone for the Wii U version. You weren't able to um, trail an item behind you. You can only have one item loaded up. Now you can have two and you can have one hiding behind you. Um, it's so good. I don't. Oh, and the last thing that before I just I'm just saying it's so good over and over again that I think if you haven't played Mario Kart in a long time, this version introduced 200 CC, which is just mind-blowingly blistering fast. Like you, you'll need to break to be able to do this. But I think is what is such a testament for their course design is how well, but yet how different each track plays on the different speeds. Like there, there are jumps in the game that don't make sense at 50 cc because you have to go through, you know, go on like a little off-road patch to get to it, and that will just totally kill your speed, and you can't make the jump in any way, shape, or form. Or when you do your hop and power slide around 
on a rainbow road at 150 cc you can hold it for a long time and get all the way to the the new purple status and have a huge boost coming out of it but if you're playing that on 50 cc you're turning too sharp and you fall off the track and it's really really cool to be playing the same courses that's something that i think a lot of racing games um don't handle well is that it's repetition you're playing the same courses over and over again as you progress through the the challenges and the change in speed each time makes each course feel fresh you have to relearn it as you progress up the cc's and then uh you know deal with the it's still there it's part of the series the frustrating rubber banding of uh (laughs) of mario kart but man i I will bring it over jeff and and you can sit down and we can get some play time in together because it's just it's just phenomenal it's so well done it's really really complete package I mean, I played it on Wii U, and I, it's great, but it's just not my my game. You know, it's not what I love. If I if I was like living in a dorm again or something, you know, when I co- constantly have new players to jump in, and I guess you can do that online. It's just not a game. It's a game for couch co op, right? It's a game to sit next to people and laugh and push each other. You know, when somebody hits you with a shell or whatever, it, that, that's what that game is to me. And I just that's not my lifestyle anymore. Yeah, well, this is the best version of it for that too. In the terms of the Switch being portable, it 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 blows yeah. my mind to think that. And while the Switch is underpowered, but to know that I'm playing a better version of Mario Kart Eight on a handheld, I'm playing it in bed or in the bathroom. Right. Uh, it's it's awesome. And then you can just take them and connect devices, and you know, play eight people sitting in a circle as you're at a real NASCAR race or something. It's a <laughs> uh, when you play in the bathroom, it's a whole new. Way to drop a Koopa shell, am I right? <laughs> hey yo, hey yo. Uh, <clears throat> speaking of games that we're sharing, uh, tell me about that MLB The Show. Yeah, you let me borrow MLB The Show seventeen again. I what a great game! I had not played a show in a couple of years, couple iterations, and so you know I'm not the one to speak to the the minute changes that they made over it. But the, it's just it's just a beautiful game. The little details, like when you slide at home, the dirt stays on the plate, you know, throughout the rest of the inning, and you can see that your jersey is getting dirty. Um, just just a beautiful package, and the presentation of the stadiums and the players with kind of each one of their you know twists and turns and their player animations for how they stand in the batter's box or how they'll throw a you know deep ball from short versus a slow grounder. It's it's all there and it's it's really really fun. When they when you start the game, you have to pick whether or not you're an experienced player or uh, I think a new new newer to the series. You get two options. There's no intermediate. It's experienced or something else. Yeah, it's like do we need to teach you the systems or do you know them? Right. So I went with teach me the systems because that had been several years since I played, and I went through and I kind of you get to pick and choose you know your batting style you can do just analog or you can do analog plus stick or you know you get to mix and match things for your play style and after you finish going through that it starts you into a game and it's chicago versus cleveland i was chicago i think i texted you mid game uh it was like the second inning i had hit seven home runs i believe when the game ended i hit 15 home runs and i pitched a perfect game (laughs) really (laughs) yeah I think I won. I, I think I screen shared the, the final score. I think it was thirty-four to zero. <laughs> well, uh, so it's a very, very authentic representation of baseball. Yeah. So I, then I started my season. I didn't do a road to the show. I just wanted to do like the traditional. I'm playing as the Astros because I still bleed orange. And uh, started my season, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to play one more at this level. I wish there was an intermediate. I feel like experience is still too hard. And then the first game was Astros Rangers, and I think I won twenty. 8-0, to zero, and I would have had a perfect game, 
but I booted the ball in right field when I was trying to catch a fly. So I, I need I, I need to go to experienced and, and see if it you know hands me hands me my lunch or not. But I still I love the game because I love having I think uh, Carlos Beltran went five for five with four home runs <laughs> in his first game. So ridiculous! I'm pretty good at baseball. Ridiculous. Is what I'm saying. Yeah, you're a savant. You're a real savant. <laughs> um, what else you got on your playlist? What I'm not good at, but it is phenomenal. And Kyle, I think you would love it. I think I think it could scratch that. It's not a MOBA at all, uh, Jeff. I think you'd like really love it too. And it's taking Steam by storm. And you ask about a game that could maybe usurp Overwatch's throne. It's by doing it differently. And it's an early access. And it's Player Unknown's Battlegrounds. Yeah, this you- is that Arma mod, right? That just like. Um- what was it? Uh, DayZ, right? DayZ, yeah. Yeah, so I don't know. Kyle, have you played it at all before I just do another little monologue? I haven't, but it's fascinating to me because it makes action happen. Right. And so I don't know the full history, I, you know, but Player Unknown is a guy who uh, made his name in that modding scene of Arma, DayZ, Rust, and, and those types of games. But what this game is, it's, it's Battle Royale, or for the younger kids, it's Hunger Games. And you start out uh, with nothing. You're on. You're every. It's uh, up to a hundred people at a time. And I've I've never had to queue. Like playing this game, it's just boom. And I think the lowest player count game I've ever been in was 88. It is mind blowing how many people seem to be playing this game. And so when it loads in, you you're all in this huge airplane and you're flying over an island. And then any point when you're flying over the island, you jump out and you parachute down and you land with nothing. No weapons, no gear, no anything, and you see all hundred people kind of parachuting out and around, and you got to go find stuff to survive, um, and and that it, not survive in terms of like food and nourishment, but you hopefully you'll get a helmet that'll give you a little prote- armor protection from a headshot. You can find bulletproof vests, you can find backpacks to hold more gear. You got to find your weapons, whether it's just a you know a, a crowbar or you find a pistol or you can find an actual automatic weapon but then you got to get ammo for it you got to load all this stuff in and then as the game progresses um it has circles that become tighter and tighter and tighter that move you into the play area so it's not as if you're playing for four hours and everybody's camped in their own tower just waiting for some idiot to run by it, it constricts the player base to keep moving forward so eventually you're in a small play area and and someone is going to win um the real beauty in the game though is that when you are killed you're not stuck just sitting there being a spectator for the next hour, you know, watching other people play. You're immediately back into the lobby. You get to start a new game. Right now you get experience points that unlock just cosmetic stuff, like different t-shirts and different pants um, that you can outfit your character with as you as you play. But there's never downtime. You're just back in another game, jumping into a new island. In this game, the best I ever did, I had two kills in one game. I was streaming it on, on Caffeine when it happened, so people were there. I took a screenshot because someone reminded me to and streamed like, dude, you got to screenshot this. And I was like, I will. (laughs) And it was the most exhilarating thing. Like this game waffles between just total boredom and edge of your seat excitement because you get lulled into complacency where you, you know, you, you go into a new village and you have to manually close doors. So if you open the door, it stays open. So if you get to a house and all the doors are closed, either someone's gone through it and closed all the doors or you're at a new house, right? So you get in there, and you're going through room to room, trying to methodically, because you have time, the play area is big, you're trying to find the best gear, it's 
kind of just random where things are, you know, you go into a bathroom and there's an Uzi. It's not like there would never be an Uzi in a bathroom. There's an Uzi in the bathroom <laughs> or a bedroom motorcycle that's, helmet. That's where, I, that's where I keep my Uzi. That's right. right uh, duh. Uh, so you're going through this house, just picking up things, getting um, health packs or whatever you're, you know, you're collecting along the way. And I found myself just getting just, it, it's not bored, but you're, you just, it's this false sense of security. And you're just like, <laughs> collect, collect. Oh, I'm going to put this scope on the gun. When you find components, you got to put them all together. And then all of a sudden, all of a sudden, you just hear someone like, <laughs> you're, ador- and it, you're just like, oh, oh, okay. and then like, I'm streaming this because I'm an idiot. Uh, and mics are proximity based. So mm-hmm. you don't hear people talking unless you're close to them. So I'm just like, oh, yeah, cool. I found this. Co- I'm going to put this scope on. Look at me, scopey scope. Oh, I'm scope. <laughs> oh, crap. It's like, I listen to that idiot streaming. I'm going to go kill him. Yeah, totally, totally. And then, like, I hear a door open. And I'm, it's it's like you feel your you feel your sphincter pucker. And you're like, Ugh! And, like, you run into a bathroom. You crouch down into a bathtub. And you're just sitting there aiming your gun. And, like, your hand's nervous. And in my first game when I felt, like, competent, like I'm playing around, I got this shotgun and I got ready, and uh, and I hear and I hear it, and I'm like, okay, someone's coming, someone's coming. I hear a jeep pull up, and I'm like, okay, okay, okay. I'm, okay this is the main entrance. This is where they're going to come from. Yeah, there's a back door, but this is based on where they're going to be. It. And I crouch. They got my little camp spot, and I'm sitting there waiting, and I'm just like, this is going to be awesome. And the door opens, and I just fire off two quick shots. I'm like, boom, boom, from my shotgun. And then I was out of shots, and I had to reload. And then this dude just walks in with the crowbar and just beats me to death. <laughs> <laughs> That's what you get, man. <laughs> and I was just like, when the door opened, I was like, okay. yeah, gotcha. Oh, crap. This is so embarrassing. And I <laughs> tried to escape, but I was in my little corner, and he, I, I felt like Robin, you know? Uh, it does sound like a lot of Daisy, a lot of the similar uh... – Daisy proximity mic and all that, yes. like feeling, always feeling vulnerable. But it's um, quick to get you in in a way that those games aren't. It just that's you cool. get in and you battle royale, and then when you die, you just start it again. And it's I'm gonna have to really check cool. this one out. That sounds really cool. It sounds I, really interesting. You really can't discount the zone that tightens. It right. is such a huge part of what makes this game work, and why I've never been interested in a Daisy, but this one I am just. That drama. And I've seen games that, you know, based on how fast that area constructs, you can have a half hour game. Yeah. And and you can I've I've been killed outside the zone because, you know, you don't want to jump out of the plane right next to everybody into like a town because you'll probably die right away. Or I will because of my skill level uh, as a first person shooter. So I kind of start off farther away and I'm going through this village and then it's like the player is going to restrict in five minutes. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. And then it starts and you're like, oh, crap. And you start trying to beeline it over and you see there's one bridge that gets you over to an area and you see like one dude sitting over there with a sniper rifle at the other end of the bridge. And you're like, well, I'm not going to do that. So then you try to swim across. And it just, you get stuck. You get stuck in a point where you're not going to make it. And you don't die immediately when the circle passes you. It kind of just knocks down your health as if you were in a you know toxic pool in a traditional video game or whatever. But I've definitely been killed that way for taking my time. That being said, this game is early access. There is jank. Um, I think it's Unreal 4. It's not the most beautiful game. People have been telling me that you actually want to, if you know play competitively, turn your graphic settings way down and you'll be able to see... Uh, enemy characters easier um so it's very much still a work in progress it's not like i'm playing battle royale and horizon zero dawn graphics or anything right but that that seat of your pants experience that each round can give you is it's it's phenomenal again it's called player unknowns battlegrounds yeah all right um so on my playlist uh i, I did get a chance to play more prey 
uh, at, at an event, um, and it's coming out soon enough. I won't get go into it now because we're kind of going long. But I did have an interview with the uh, lead designer at, of Prey, and I'm going to put that as bonus content on the end of this episode. Uh, you can you you could have heard it earlier in the week if you uh, follow me on Anchor Anchor.fm/nlb. But we'll have it at the end of this episode as bonus content as well. The game that I want to talk about most in my playlist. Guys, uh, I think Zelda might be my third favorite game of the year now. Uh-oh. I do. I think uh, everybody's... I know it's going to win every Game of the Year award, except probably ours. <laughs> because Horizon Zero Dawn for me is still ahead of it. But I think there's another game that's ahead of it for me. And it's called What Remains of Edith Finch. And I know that's probably heresy because I understand how good Zelda is and how important a game it is and how much it is a paradigm shift in a lot of ways for the open world genre and how big the ripples are from that game. And I understand that it it is a big impact game. But the experience that I had playing What Remains of Edith Finch, I wouldn't trade for anything. It is is beautiful. I think it should be required for every gamer, if you consider yourself a gamer and you want to know what video games are capable of, I highly, highly, highly recommend playing What Remains of Edith Finch. Uh, it is from the same um, same developer that did The Unfinished Swan a few years ago, which I think is a pretty interesting game too. But this really just blows the door off, doors off. I'm playing it on PC, and at maximum settings, it is an utterly gorgeous game. And the idea is you are this young girl, a teenager really, uh, returning home to her childhood home and wandering through it and finding out what has happened, all the stories that she heard as a kid about her very bizarre family that seems to have had a family curse where everybody sort of died, right? The house is, is strange. It is almost like something out of a children's book. Um, I remember reading children's books when I was a kid about Mrs. Piggle Wiggle, who lived in the upside-down house. It reminded me of that kind of thing, where it's full of secret passageways and stuff that is, you know, just objects that are strange and weird and, and things that are locked off, doors that are, have been sealed shut and you can only peer through and through a peephole to see what's inside. Full of mysteries, uh, it is a magical, and it feels more than any other video game, I think. It feels like a a real place that human beings have lived in, albeit very bizarre human beings. But there is such a level of detail in the house. There are so many things that are so well rendered in very, very high texture quality that like every single book on the shelf has a title on it. And there are books stacked everywhere, and there are little pictures and doodads and things that give you clues as to what these people's lives were like. And the house is fascinating. It sort of has a strange architecture to it. It, it, Things are built high and and seem very improbable, and it's kind of on this cliffside. And just wandering around the grounds and wandering through the house is fascinating and full of – full of joy of just kind of seeing how this house is laid out and what it's got inside it. And this is very much one of those walking simulators, right? Which is, a, I think, pejorative, unfortunately. But these games I tend to like. Gone Home, uh, Dear Esther, uh, even Firewatch. These are uh, games I've really enjoyed, and this is definitely that. It is a very linear, narrative-based experience. But what an experience. Basically, the 
the entire game is exploring that house and coming across letters or journals or even comic books and any kind of written history of one of the members of the family's life. More to the point, how they died. And once you find that, you are transported into a sort of flashback moment living through their experience. And it's all first person. And each one of them is like a short story. It's like you're playing through this wonderful, almost Twilight Zone short story anthology. And each one of them is delivered in a completely unique, interesting way. And I was completely taken by this game. It is, it's a magical experience. There is one where you play through the panels of a comic book. There's one where you, you are literally, it's about a, a boy who played video games and you're sort of, you're doing his mundane job, but you're also imagining yourself playing a video game. And so you, you literally have to do both at the same time. And the way it conveys each member of this family's life story is so exquisite, so wonderfully revealed that I found myself moved multiple times. I mean, I really was brought to tears a couple of times. A lot of that has to do with the fact that I have a young baby and there's like a young baby stuff in the game too. But it is, it, it is truly an extraordinary game that I think everybody should experience. And don't let people dissuade you with the whole walking simulator thing. This, this is a short two to three hour experience that you can and I think should play in one sitting. And it is not something to be missed. It is a really, really extraordinary experience. You did say the scary words, though. You know, it's an experience and Dear Esther is probably the scariest one to me. Uh, <laughs> not only did that, I actually kind of jumped when the little ghosts were running around that game, but I was just left underwhelmed. But this actually looks like it has a game in it, too. There's yeah, stuff I mean, to do. It's one button, right? You, you only ever use one button, uh, and it's mostly walking around and looking at things. But there is, you know, there's, there's stuff to do, and each little short story vignette thing asks you to do different things, and that's cool. But it, it is more about experiencing this narrative in an interactive way that I think is really powerful. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, I mean, if you didn't like Gone Home, if you didn't like Firewatch, uh, I think that you may be frustrated that this is there's not more game here, but I would be surprised that anybody wouldn't be completely transported by this experience. It's it's a very, very special game, and it's on the strength of the writing and the strength of the, the way the, it uses form to convey narrative. It's, it's really cool. So we have gone very long, uh, and I still have some great VR stuff to talk about, and we want to do a big question this week instead of quick questions. But first, I want to thank our new sponsor. We have a brand new sponsor this week, and I got news for you guys. This is a, a PSA, really. Mother's Day is coming up. It's great to talk about video games and be excited about video games, playing video games, but don't forget your mom. Your mom is the reason you get to play video games, and Mother's Day is coming. you got to be prepared. Think of your mom, and I know what you do. If you're like me, here's what you do. You wait to the last minute, and then you call up one of these expensive flower delivery companies or you go online and you click on a you search for flowers 
Mother's Day flowers and you look at the picture and you click on the picture and it's super expensive and crazy and you send it to your mom and she gets the flowers and she goes, oh, thank you so much. Thank you so much for the flowers. And you're like, oh, thank God I saved Mother's Day. But you have no idea what the actual flowers she got were because I got news for you. I just found this out. Most of these big professional flower companies, they do some really shady stuff. For example, what you see is not what you get. Sometimes they sub out the flowers that are in the picture. If they run out of flowers at a very busy times like Valentine's Day or Mother's Day, they will sub out other flowers that they have on hand so you'll get carnations instead of roses, for example. Or they're, they're getting these massive amounts of flowers from another continent and they're shipping them in so these flowers are so old by the time they get to your mom or your wife or your anybody you send them to that they die within a couple of days. Bloom that changes all that. Instead of being an assembly line of flower arranging, which a lot of these big flower companies are, the flowers, the bouquets at Bloom That are handcrafted by one designer. A one designer designs your bouquet from start to finish. They don't just pluck in the, the next sprig and hand it down to the next guy, which a lot of these other flower companies do. And the flowers are fresh. They're picked right before you order them. So they last longer. They last so much longer than these crappy ones that you send to your mom from the big expensive companies. But you never hear about it. Your mom never tells you that the flowers she got weren't the ones in your picture. You never even find out because your mom's a beautiful, wonderful lady and she's going to lie to you and say, oh yeah, the flowers were pretty, but they died in a couple of days. They weren't the crazy expensive ones that you wanted. You just never even know because your mom is a saint and she deserves better. So save money, get higher value flowers that are actually designed by a designer and are the ones that you want. They don't have any hidden fees because all, man, I can't tell you how many times I've sent flowers and it's like, oh yeah, I'll get the, uh, you know, the $60 one and it ends up being $115. I'm like, what? How did my $16 bouquet turn into $115? Well, how does that? And then it's not even what you asked for. Come on, do better. Also, because you listen to our show, we're going to hook you up with a really cool offer. This is an offer exclusive to our show. If you go to bloom that slash DLC, that's B-L-O-O-M-T-H-A-T slash DLC, you can get a gorgeous bouquet, hand-picked, hand-designed, Instagram-ready, plus a premium designer vase that costs everybody else about 15 bucks, plus handmade caramel what delicious candy, caramel treats, normally a $10 value, free for listeners of DLC. So that's savings of about 25 bucks, and it's the best deal that Bloom That is offering. They're giving it just to DLC listeners. All you got to do is go to bloomthat.com slash DLC, where you can get an awesome bouquet and save Mother's Day. Christian, you got a bouquet as well. My wife loved our bouquet. It comes in an awesome box. Uh, what did you think of yours? Yeah, uh, the MRS did not know they were coming, so that was it's always a fun surprise, and she loves them. She... <laughs> She did. She left, and I like put them. You know, op- open it up, and the box is very nice, and it's like the whole experience is nice, right? Like it looks good just in the box, the way it's wrapped and presented. Uh, so I got to do all that, and then I put it in in the vase filled with water, put it on the table. 
<laughs> and it was like Amanda came home with the girls, and the, so I was like, flowers, they're beautiful. And Amanda goes, what are you going to ask me to do? <laughs> like the classic she thought I was going to be like, and I'm going Continue on the road. Continue to love me? Right. That, yeah. yeah. I know I hadn't told you this, and I know our daughter's second birthday is Thursday, but look, I'm going to be in Tuscaloosa. For, <laughs> uh, but she loves them. They're great. They are beautiful yeah. uh, sitting on our table right now. So again, go to bloomthat.com slash DLC, get your free caramels, get your gorgeous vase. The vase that it comes in is really, really nice. It's not that crappy like ceramic stuff that you get from a lot of these companies. It's a really beautiful vase. Bloomthat.com slash DLC. Make your mom happy. Big week for VR, which why I, I made sure to get it into the show this week. Um, first of all, if you are a uh, Oculus owner, some really exciting stuff, including Batman Arkham VR, which we've raved about on the show before, uh, but it is out on on Oculus now with Oculus Touch. And uh, man, Chris, remember how we thought it was such a beautiful VR game on PlayStation VR? Don't tell me I need to rebuy this. Come on. It's so much better looking on PC, dude. It really is. It's (laughs) so nice. It's so good. It's, it's, I mean, it's a must buy. Wait. You get to be Batman. It's great. Is it Oculus Store or is it Steam Store? Oculus Store. Dang. I was hoping you could share it. I'm just trying to find. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Oculus. Can you, can you start a Gamefly or something? I need, uh, I can't, I can't, but I want, I want to so badly. It is. The cool thing, too, is that it has a bunch of options, uh, sliders in the options menu that lets you fiddle with the graphics. So you can, you can up the, um, you know, the pre-rendering and uh, foveation and all that cool stuff where the PlayStation VR just it, it took care of all that for you and, you know, had the best it could do. You get to do the trade-off on performance and it can make the game look just unbelievably good. It's oh, so awesome. good. Yeah, so good. If you missed this or didn't have a PSVR or have Oculus in touch, I mean, it, this is up there as, as high as a must-play it can get for me. As a huge fan of Batman and the Arkham games, but it's it's incredible. Yeah. Uh, on uh, Vive, I got a chance to play Symphony of the Machine, which is a puzzle game where you are bending beams of light and making them hit certain panels. Really, really cool game. I mean, there's a lot of games like that in VR right now where you're sort of in a 3D space and you have to manipulate objects to get them from one place to another. And it works really well, right? It's very physical. It's kind of slow. It works great in a, in, you know, a full room-scale environment. Uh, what this, I think, does so well is that it, it has an awesome presentation. Like you're in this alien world. You go to the top of this – you take this elevator to the top of this spire that is very reminiscent of the spires in Breath of the, Breath of the Wild. And you have this awesome view of the, this planet that you're on. And then as you bend these beams of light, depending on which panel you hit, it changes the weather of the world. And you're trying to grow these plants, these very specific plants, like a little – there's a little robot that gives you a seed of a plant and tells you, hey, grow this plant. Here's what it needs. It needs rain and it needs sun and it needs wind. And you go, okay, well, I'm going to make the beams go to the rain panel and the sun panel and the wind panel. How am I going to do that? Well, I have a little object here that splits the beam into multiple you know, streams and I can hit each of those things. And I have a little mirror that reflects the beam onto the right thing. And there's little panels that shoot up that block your beam. So you have to like figure out a way to go around them. It's cool. 
And then it keeps like upping the complexity so that you get these little filters that turn turn things cold or turn things hot. So you can go, well, you this this particular plant needs snow. So you go, okay, well, I start with rain and then I put this filter in front of it so it turns it into cold rain, which makes snow. Or I have a cactus and it needs like dry heat. So you go, okay, well, I need to make wind that's hot wind. Really, really cool. Um, Is there and, a timer or like the plant dying? Like what's no. the fail state? The fail state is just not figuring out the puzzle. It's because okay, it, cool. it's you, you have a finite number of little contraptions that let you mess with the beam. You know, you you like how do my how the heck am I going to get the, these three things to light up when I have I'm blocked in this way and I need to split it, but I only have a double splitter. So how am I going to get it to reflect? It's that kind of thing. It's, 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 it's so all it's not keep talking and the plant will die or, you know, like it, it sounded <laughs> know. very much like that. That's a great VR experience too, but I kind of like this less stressful approach of a, of a puzzle game versus like watching oh. my poor cactus wither. And I'm like, I can't, I'm trying. I can't save you. I think uh, absolutely. That's the joy is that there's no ticking clock. It's just like you sit around, you can think it through and you're just going to sit there and stare at stuff and look around you and try to figure out and make it you know, like, tw- and I'm sure there are, there are solutions that I came to, that aren't the like textbook solution, but it's just like fiddling with stuff enough. And like, Oh, I just managed to get the beam just a hair off. So it's not blocked, you know, that kind of thing. And it's all physics based in a 3d space. It's, it's cool. That's That's called symphony of the machine. And it's on PlayStation VR and vive. I played it on vive. And then of course the big, big uh, marquee VR game um, that came out on Oculus from Oculus studios is Wilson's heart. I'm sure you guys have heard about this one. It's a it's a thriller kind of horror game set in the 40s. You're a patient in this creepy hospital, and you wake up. You're strapped to a table, and you break away, and then you got to figure out what's going on in this crazy, insane asylum. Uh, so it's a, it's it's creepy. It's not like you know Outlast or Resident Evil Seven level creepy, but it is pretty creepy. And the whole game is done in black and white. So you're in the 40s, and the whole world is rendered monochrome in black and white, which is, I think is a pretty bold choice, but it, it works really well. The game's gorgeous, and it does some interesting things. It's a it's very much a puzzle game where you're you're figuring out stuff. It's like the throwback to the old point-and-click adventures where you have to find the right item to do the right thing, except that all the things you do are physical things. So if you you know you find the hammer, and then you got to use the hammer to bash something, and you you know, you go into your inventory, you grab the hammer, and then you physically bash something. But the way you get around the world is kind of interesting. It's not the teleport anywhere that you get with most VR games, and it's not freeform walk around. It's very specific nodes, and you look around the environment, and you see an outline of your character standing at a thing or manipulating something, and that's like a preview of what you'll be doing when you're over there. And so then you click on a button, and you teleport into that space, and you can be at that node doing that thing. It reminds Sound- me of those old, old Sherlock Holmes games. Yeah, 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 exactly. Very, very good. Uh, that is exactly what it's like. Uh, or like, you know, you know, these old like mist or something where you would click on a very specific thing and it would like push you into that spot. And it's like, okay, well, figure out what you have to do here in this spot. Um, it's cool. It's really, really good. I'm digging it. At a certain point, you find out something about yourself and you get to manipulate light. Uh, you have this like power to manipulate light, and then there's like literally demons and creatures that only exist in the darkness, and you have to figure out how to you know light up stuff so you can move through the world. Um, it's it's pretty neat. Um, I really dig it. 
I don't think it would work great as a non-VR game, but as a VR game, it's it's awesome. It's called Wilson's just... Heart. Oh, sorry. Yeah, Wilson's Heart. I didn't mean to talk about I keep calling it Owen Wilson's Heart. But... <laughs> that little bit at the end there, you talked about the light and the demons. Man, I would love an FX's Legion VR game. Oh, interesting. It's I just think... a game where you... You see some trippy stuff, and they're like, what does this mean? And you're like, I don't know. Well, I think I insanity effects work really well in VR. And I well, yeah. have hovered over Wilson's heart many a time, but this week was uh, a very big week for new games for me already. Um, but I think that idea of, in the, in the way that FX presents Legion, which is the story of Professor Xavier's son, if you know nothing about the character, it's kind of a jumping-in point. But it's so stylish. Um, I think something like that would be really, really cool where you're – you know, even if it's an offshoot and you're just trying to, you know, the pilot or whatever, break out or figure out something, but you're cutting in and out of reality all the time. I don't know. It could be awesome. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think uh, Edge of Nowhere did stuff like that with the, you know. Yeah. On, uh, on Oculus as well. Um, okay. So let's move on. I know we're running long already, but I, I, I want to get to uh, a big question instead of a quick question, but that won't stop me from playing this. So I know many of you are going to complain that right after the week where I say if you send in a quick question, you're going to get a free game. We're still doing that, and a lot of you sent in quick questions. We're going to get to your quick questions over the next few weeks. I just found a big question that I wanted to tackle, and I thought while Kyle was here, it would be a perfect time to do it. Uh, Because there was a lot of hubbub this week about an article in The Atlantic that really was uh, directly related to What Remains of Edith Finch, a game that I, I obviously was raving about just a few minutes ago. And this is an article uh, that was written by uh, Ian Bogost uh, of The Atlantic, and his thesis is that uh, video games are better without stories. Uh, I, hopefully you guys had a chance to read this article. It got a lot of uh, reaction from different people uh, in the game's media. It, it, it's basically saying that video games don't tell stories very well. That every time a video game tries to tell a story, it's basically borrowing from a different medium, most notably film. And that most of the games that try to do this kind of storytelling, that What Remains of Edith Finch is doing, fail because it would be easier to just watch the video of it, to just watch it as a TV show or a movie. Just film it or animate it. Uh, When I'm watching a cutscene in a video game, he argues, I'm basically just watching a bad movie that is interrupted by gameplay that doesn't have anything to do with the story. And that games uh, are better suited to creating stuff like Heroes of the Storm or, you know, many other examples that you could give of games that are about not delivering a narrative. They're about delivering a uh, a challenge that has to do with your reflexes or whatever it is. So I thought this would be an interesting thing for us to tackle because I disagree vehemently about about this but I'm curious, Kyle, what you think as somebody that plays a lot of games that don't necessarily have stories and you create your own stories in playing them. Do you think that's what video games do best? Yeah, very much so, because those are like the Mass Effect and Drama to talk earlier in your head and what you bring to it. And while Here's the Storm is shorter than something like Dota, which was an hour and a half long at times, I'd come up with these fantastical journeys and figure out who was on the enemy side and these exchanges we would have. 
the elements that you can present and how you combine them, a lot like the player unknown battlegrounds, that's what computers do so well. But then I can't help but think about things like Last of Us, where I think video games to me can also be extremely long stories that just don't work in movies. It's kind of the book problem. You can have these fantastic journeys in a book, and the T-Rex in Jurassic Park can chase people paddling in an inflatable boat, but that's silly as heck in a video game or a movie. Yeah. So you are you are kind of agree that, that games should sort of stay out of trying to convey um, big, long, interesting narratives, or uh, let's say cinematic narratives, uh, and and stick to what they do best, which is sort of enabling the character, the player, him or herself, to develop your own narrative through just the stuff that happens to you in the course of playing. Right. Except for there are those outliers like Last of Us, which are just so good at telling that story. But then you have something like the Ghostbusters game from what five years ago now, where they try to insert you into a story, and those always fall flat. Well, it seems like then you're saying that it's all about execution right if the execution is good enough that's not necessarily a flaw of the medium it's a flaw of the level of skill of the creator no certainly and uh, how many zombie games have been made and we've all gone we're done we're done and then someone comes out with another one we go oh okay we're it's cool bring it on christian what is your what is your take on this i mean to meme it it's get you a guy that can do both right that's the beauty of video games is that all of these types of things work. I disagree with the thesis of, of the article. Um, I agree with the idea that mechanics can make amazing games. You know, we talk about how Tetris is our favorite game ever or the best game ever. A game like Heroes or Dota or um, PlayerUnknown's Battlegrounds. Like, all of these games are um, mechanics-based, experience-based, and you can create stories of, of what happens or that heart-pounding moment I had you know, waiting for this guy to come around the door when I had a shotgun trained on him. Um, and there's no story in that game. There's not, there's not, they don't even give a reason for why you're a hundred people dropped onto an island. Like, they don't, you're prisoners, and this is the person who escaped. They don't even try. You just go play the game. But that being said, I think narrative-based games can do something so compelling that a film cannot do. And I love film. I love modern-day television, I think, is such an amazing and beautiful thing because you can do those longer stories and you don't need to worry about doing 10 seasons and you can just be narcos, um, you know, seasons one and two on Netflix. Or, and that's, the, that's that tale. Um, but what games are able to do by having it be an interactive medium is something that, that film can't do. And I think the way when it tells a story and tells it well... It's an experience unlike anything else. For example, the horror games we're talking about. Resident Evil 7 very much has a narrative to it. And playing that game is vastly different than watching someone play it. Like, I am the agent pushing the door open. I'm not just sitting in the movie theater saying, Don't do it! Don't do it! Don't do it! If I don't do it, the story does not progress. I know that there are horrors behind that door. And if I do not put my character, put myself... And my honest to God self, in terms of if I die, I lose 30 minutes of playtime or, you know, whatever the fail state is, into harm's way, I will not see how that story progresses. And I think that is amazing. It is something that is only possible in, in video games or interactive medium. And it's a story that is really cool. I, I agree to some extent that, you know, video game narrative is, is 
oftentimes lacking compared to the best in film or television. But it's a very young medium, and the ability to convey these types of stories um, is even younger in terms of having uh, the graphical fidelity to be able to do something. Not that it needs it. You don't need to have Uncharted 4 or Last of Us level graphics. I think you can tell a compelling story um, with sword and sorcery graphics or something like that and still have a really cool narrative-based gameplay. But I think oftentimes when people make this argument, they look at Godfather or you know Breaking Bad or the pinnacle of film and television and they leave out um, uh, whatever Adam Sandler's newest Netflix Sandy Wexler like it's garbage it's a garbage narrative and it's 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 a garbage movie like there's plenty of garbage TV shows and to say that video games don't reach the standard of film it's like you're picking a bad video game and you're comparing it to the best narrative uh, movie ever instead of taking one of the best examples of like what remains of Edith Finch and comparing that to um, uh, Big Bang Theory. You know, it's, it's like it's, it's well, a false equivalency. I mean, to be fair, in this article, he, he is specifically talking about what remains of Edith Finch and, and other games that I would put in that category. He talks um, about Bioshock. Uh, which I think for me is is a great example of why interactivity in narrative has meaning. Uh, but his his quote here is, now, in between bouts of combat in Bioshock, the recordings players discover have no influence on the action of the game except to color the interpretation of that action. The payoff, if that's the right word for it, is a tepid reprimand against blind compliance, the very conceit the Bioshock player would have to embrace to play the game in the first place. Now, I, I agree with a lot of what you said, Christian, in the sense that I, I think what makes interactivity in a narrative powerful for me is the fact that I am a participant, that I have to, yes, I have to comply to the blind, blindly <laughs> to what, what I'm told in Bioshock, and that payoff, yes, would only, I would only witness it if I had done the thing, so I, I didn't have any option there, but it still landed on me in a way it wouldn't have if I didn't have to participate. And the same is true in what remains of Edith Finch. Because I am continuing to do the thing I need to do, and yes, there is only one thing to do, in, in a sense. It's not like I have tons of choice. It is, a, it is a linear progression from start to finish. But because I am asked to push that forward. I'm asked to participate and yes, walk through that door in order to get to the next bit. There is something different that happens to me as a viewer. There is something different that happens to me as a, as a per person witnessing this narrative or because now I am, I am interacting. I am, I You're am invested in a way that you otherwise exactly. wouldn't be as a participant. I mean, and a, I think that's a, a powerful thing. There are there are sequences in What Remains of Edith Finch that moved me because I had to do them. There's one where you're on a swing with a little boy. You're as a little boy on the swing, and you have to swing. And it is so powerful because I did it, and I and you feel the motivation of what it's like to be that kid and and imagine swinging and swinging higher and higher. And you are in that mindset in a way that a film would would have. A different job in conveying and maybe a film could still do it but the interactive medium accomplishes it in such a cool manner and i love that about it yeah I mean, so i think walking dead season one to me that's the height of those 
Telltale games and it just blew me away. That could very easily be a TV show, the season The Walking Dead. And even though the end of that game, I won't spoil anything about it other than speaking generally, your choices along the way do not greatly affect the ending that you receive as a player to watch that game. But going through it and being the one to choose these moments where you, you're you sitting there and you, you have to choose who to give a candy bar to, the fact that you are choosing who he gives it to is very different than watching that same scene on TV, no matter how great the actor is, you know, portraying the dilemma of who do you feed and who do you not feed, um, or who you choose to let be killed by the zombie or not. It's just very different when you're the one pushing the button. And it makes that story deeply personal in a way that isn't the same as watching, you know, the best Walking Dead episode on TV. I agree. There are so many places for improvement in that sort of thing, too. And I hope that an article like this pushes those moments. I mean, we talk about sort of being forced to do something. I think of Dead Space 2 when probably the loudest opening to a video game ever. If that was a movie, I think people would be like, oh, well, we've seen the monsters. What the, what's there left? But now you've had to defend yourself. You had to run. Mm. And I think of that Bioshock, and he brings up here all those old tape recorders and how amazing that was there, but how it started to fall flat when we got to Diablo 3, maybe. And now, you know, when Doom had the audio lot we could work together and he just smashes the console i was so thrilled because i knew i wasn't gonna have to sit through that again so i don't know if this is merely only the article writer thinking with the rest of us that we're kind of tired of these tropes now and we want something fresh and the creators need to think harder about what their interactivity means as an art form yeah, yeah, I can get behind that. Always make it better, right? That's the beauty of it. Like, let's keep let's keep pushing. Well, his his uh, one of these pull quotes here. He says, "To use games to tell sc- stories is a fine goal, but it's also an unambitious one." And I think that that is couldn't be less true, in, in my opinion. And I think you know, uh, Kyle, as a dungeon master, you must know the power of interactive storytelling when you're able to craft a story as your players are experiencing it. And I think that is the ultimate goal of digital interactivity, right? We are not there yet. We don't have AI that can handle that kind of thing. But that is what we're all dreaming about, is that my my actions, my decision-making moment to moment has an impact on where the story goes and where I find myself. And I think having that as a narrative goal is is absolutely ambitious right and it's impossible to achieve right now i do not play dungeon dragons online i won't do it at a computer i won't dm i have to have people in the room with me it not only is a magical moment because how likely are you to get friends together anymore that aren't online it's you know cell phones in the bag no distractions this is dungeons and dragons and i get to see the glint in their eyes when i hit that monster type or that enemy or something that sparked their interest. And I can run with that further and leave the other stuff behind. I've had moments in D&D where they went, which way do we go? We go left. They, they were supposed to go right. So I just pick up the whole castle and move it on the right side of the map for them. Right. And in a video game, you know, you replay even an amazing one where you feel like you had impact, Mass Effect 2. You can already the second you restart that game for a second time see the framework and how you're starting to break it and how when you told that guy no he just goes ah yes and does it anyway yeah yeah but i but i think that's where the ambition is right and i i hope that we some place sometime get to this point where you know we all are in the holodeck and we're all you know helping sherlock holmes 
to his mysteries like Pe- Captain Kirk or Picard. <laughs> Read the article, develop your own a- answer, and uh, email dlcfeedback at gmail.com. I'd love to hear what you think because that's going to do it for this episode of DLC, everybody. Um, <laughs> play What Remains of Edith Finch. It's awesome, and games deserve stories that are awesome. Uh, thanks to Kyle Ferguson for being here with us. Kyle, <laughs> where can people find all of your awesome stuff on the web? I watch... I watch your videos. I listen to your podcast. I'm a, I'm a legit fan. So tell people where they can get on board with your stuff. Oh, well, thank you so much. You can find me on Twitter at Kyle Ferguson, two S's in Ferguson. I'm across the web at Kyle Ferguson, YouTube, Twitch, of course, into the Nexus, the Heroes of the Storm podcast to do with Garrett Weinzerl over at amove.tv. But what is a real-time strategy game? without real time and that's why i do all the video game content all the video content to make sure that it's not only talk radio you have somewhere you can go to watch an example of that execution so check out youtube.com slash kyle ferguson and i am a heroes of the storm coach and if you're interested in getting better at heroes of the storm check out kyleferguson.com christian how about you what do you got going on this week a couple of big things I can talk about that are fun. Um, I'm going to be headlining Lestats in San Diego on May 9th. That is a Tuesday night. The show is at 9 p.m. It is free. It is all ages. It is the same venue where I recorded both of my albums, Moment in Time and This Year's We're All Going to Die. It's a really cool, intimate um, little theater, 100 and 120 people, maybe something like that. If you pack them in like sardines, that is Tuesday, May 9th at 9 p.m. in San Diego at Lestats, 3343 Adams Avenue. I have a couple of friends going down with me uh, to do the show as well. It's going to be awesome. So if you or a friend are in or around San Diego, then come out to the show. Come say hi. Um, Also, I do a parenting podcast called Department of Parenting. And my co-host, Chris Quinto, she was in South America on vacation all of last month. Uh, so we had in-the-can episodes coming out once a week. We're staying on once-a-week schedule as we build back up to getting to our, you know, uh, get the vault full again and get go back to our two twice-a-week schedule. But um, now that she's back in town, we had an awesome episode recorded yesterday with Brian Brushwood talking about how he balances everything he does because that guy is just incredible. Uh, he does so much, and he's a thrice dad you know so he's he's been in it and through it and it's a really cool chat that is going to be coming out um this wednesday so you can find that at departmentofparenting.com and then i I gotta do one because we're i finally have a topic because we're like into uh sleep training if you guys i'm sure you guys we would love to have you on and we would love to talk about that that sounds fantastic it's it's brutal man it's hard right brutal yeah it's uh parenting is hard guys go figure uh, <laughs> yes, but that would be awesome. Let's 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 find a time to do that. I would love to do that, and um, especially being on the other end of that tunnel, so I can just be like, "Yep," <laughs> mm-hmm. <laughs> with everything you say. Um, and then Chris and I, we did a, a regular episode, kind of just like catching up on her being back from uh, South America. But we'd also it'll go out on the RSS Parenting dot com. But we also did the whole thing as video. So we're going to put that out on our Facebook, which is just look for Department of Parenting on Facebook. If you wanted to see that, we're going to start getting into more video content, some shorter form video stuff too. But this is the whole 20-minute episode of Chris and I being silly and being stupid uh, doing our first video episode. So you can find that on Facebook at Department of Parenting. That will be out next week, Wednesday. Uh, And then the little Patreon I do called At Least 20 More Minutes. It's a patron-only podcast. It's a 20-minute show at least uh, about all things geek. And uh, something I get to dive into a little bit longer than a, sometimes we have to 
you know, move over things quickly on this show. So you can find that at Patreon. Not your plugs, evidently. We don't move over those quickly. Christmas Spicer. Hey, Jeff Kanata. (laughs) What are you up to this week? Uh, video games. I talk video games every single day on anchor.fm slash NLB for the newest, latest, best podcast. Uh, I think you guys should check that out. It's quick hits, uh, more in depth than what I'm talking about here sometimes and every single day. So I'm hitting the news as it happens. Uh, anchor.fm slash NLB. I, uh, do a movie and television show, uh, well, movie and television review show called slash filmcast. You can find that at slash filmcast.com. Uh, I think we're talking about Gardens of the Galaxy this week, so you're going to want to tune in for that one. And uh, I do We Have Concerns, which is a comedy science show, uh, which you can find at wehaveconcerns.com. And then once a month, I also hang out on the uh, Into the Nexus podcast that Kyle and Garrett do, which is awesome. So true and awesome. Uh, Guys, that's going to do it for this episode, uh, but let's get right now uh, to our parting gift. And after that... You get some bonus content, so stick around but right now. Hey, give us a suggestion of what to do this week. Give us a parting gift. This is your parting gift. Kyle, do you have a suggestion for the folks? I do. I enjoy me some documentaries, and this past week, Twitch ran the run of Cosmos with Carl Sagan. Wow. So I've been watching old older documentaries and i discovered the 1989 lost worlds by david attenborough but it was the first time i've ever seen the majority of these fossils if you're into dinosaurs you need to check this out i don't know why this doesn't come up frequently when people think about documentaries about dinosaurs wow that sounds awesome i wonder how much of that i feel like we've learned so many things in the last 20 years that we were wrong about from dinosaurs You know, it's like, oh, they had feathers. Oh, they were basically birds. Oh, they quacked like ducks. Um, It'd be interesting to see how much different stuff is in the 1989 version. This is very much the feathers period. And I think think it came out right before maybe Spielberg finished his research there. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, He didn't care. He's like, ah, that doesn't sound... Giant birds, no one's going to pay money for that. We need giant lizard people. Uh, Christian, how about you? You got a uh, parting gift? Oh boy, do I. Welcome to Christian's Pop Punk 30 Seconds. Um, Newfound Glory, they have uh, a new album out. It just came out this past week called uh, Makes Me Sick. Newfound Glory Makes Me Sick. And it's incredible. There are probably four songs on it that are just top, creme de la creme, Newfound Glory. The rest of the stuff you might love or hate, you know, but uh, whatever. Those four songs alone make it worth a listen. Also, Amanda and I saw them live i think it's very bold they're on tour right now for 20 years of pop punk and what they do is they play two full albums not in in order but they kind of mash the songs together you know one from one one from the other build a set list but it's a really cool way that they're touring because every show is different they'll play two full albums from their back catalog and it's interesting that they're doing that while a new album is out like a new album drops in the middle of this tour and they're not on tour to support it they're playing the old stuff and then after that ends they go on another tour to support the new album. These guys are animals. Great to see live. The new album, Makes Me Sick by Newfound Glory, is awesome. We got a listener sent us in a, uh, a parting gift. This was sent to dlcfeedback at gmail.com. This com- comes from Claire. Claire says, I wanted to share that free comic book day is coming up on May 6th, and it's always a blast for comics veterans and newbies alike. Shops all over the country participate, so hopefully everyone can find a local comic book shop to visit. Uh, And you can go to uh, freecomicbookday.com to find your local shop. 
And she says, additionally, while Free Comic Book Day is free to customers, it's not free to the shops. So I encourage everyone to buy a trade paperback while they're there. Some recent favorites of mine are Low, Ms. Marvel, Seven to Eternity, and Headlopper. Thanks for that. That's awesome. I, free Comic Book Day is always one of my favorite times of the year. Uh, May 6th, so before this next episode comes out, you guys should be – it's next weekend, so uh, check it out. My parting gift is a show on TBS that I have found to be absolutely delightful. It's in its second season now. It's one of the funniest shows on TV in my opinion. It's by Jason Jones and uh, Samantha B, the real-life husband and wife couple from The Daily Show. It's called The Detour, and it's about a family uh, – the first season is about a family trying to get from, uh, I think, California to – or no, Midwest to uh, Florida, and bad things happen. And the second season gets even zanier. Really, really funny. Highly recommend checking it out. It's called The Detour. All right. That's going to do it for this episode of DLC. Thanks again to Kyle Ferguson and Christian Spicer for hanging out and uh, joining me all, all this episode. Thanks to all the folks in the chat room who made this show better by being here in real time. We appreciate you as well. Uh, thanks to all of you that download the show and tell your friends about it. That helps us in a big way. And thanks to our musical contributors, Patrick L., Sean Madigan, and Zero Star. You guys are rad as well. We'll be back next week. Again, bonus content coming your way. Cool interview. So stick around for that. But until next week, think about what you put out into the world. Make it a better place. Some bonus content for you now. This is my interview with Rafael Colantonio, the creative director on Prey and the head of Arcane Studios. I hope you enjoy. So... This is the second time I've had a chance to play Prey now, and we're a little farther into the game. Can you tell me about what we're seeing with this chunk of gameplay today? So this is a moment where uh, the player finally uh, gets gain access to powers for the first time. So he's going to find an object that is called a psychoscope, which uh, allows him to scan aliens and learn, study them and learn the powers from them. So whatever they do, then now he can do. Um, and, uh, and this area is, uh, is an older part of the station that was built by the Russian in the 60s. And uh, it's where actually the aliens were contained for the first time. And so, there's, uh, the, so the player at this point, two or three hours into the game, uh, is going to have a, a chance to um, find out a lot about the history of the aliens and how they came here, etc. Right. It, it seems like there's an interesting risk-reward aspect with uh, investigating the alien biology and technology and <clears throat> being able to get those powers uh, you have to actually scan you have to scan a certain number of aliens in order to have access to the stuff that you've discovered about them mm-hmm. <clears throat> can you talk about that that gameplay loop of, of I mean there are lures in the game right there are different ways to not just barrel through and blast every alien right. um, yeah your your interest since you can only scan them when they're alive uh, your interest is to either scan them when you are stealthing or when they are distracted because there's a lure grenade, for example, or because you, they're blocked by the glue cannon so that now you can, as they, are, you know, as they are paralyzed, you can actually scan them and then acquire their power before then you kill them. Right. Uh, so it's an interesting um, tension in, in, uh, in how you... Because it it sound it, it, it probably sounds counterintuitive at first. So oh, I want to kill those as fast as possible, but actually right. no, you needed to keep them alive if you want to scan them. 
And is there... Uh, it seems like the game is kind of leading you down the path of, of having some understanding of what these alien creatures are doing and that there's... Eventually, as you sort of become more like them, mm-hmm. you gain a little empathy for what they're going toward. Is that is that? There is there is a there is this theme, yeah, and it's not and it's not exactly that, and and I don't want to talk too much to it because otherwise it 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 will reveal some stuff that uh, we we want the player to find out for us from themselves. But sure. there is empathy is definitely one of the one of the theme in the game. And there's a lot of dense sci-fi ideas here. I mm-hmm. mean, I, you guys are doing these screenings. Uh, tonight is The Matrix, and you've been right. doing uh, Moon and Starship Troopers and some other some other famous sci-fi films. Can you talk about the influences that, that these movies have had on the game and, and the kind of density of the sci-fi concepts? Yeah, we were looking at it more like... Um uh, it's, it's a near future, it's in, in 2032, 2035 actually, uh, and you, you're in a world that we wanted, to be, we wanted it to be fairly relatable so that the player can feel it's, it's familiar in a way, even though it's our own version of the, of the world, uh, it's an alternate world, but it still feels familiar. And, and, uh, and, and so we thought about the technology as, uh, you know, what is the technology that it's kind of believable, even though it's a little bit of a stretch, but mm-hmm. uh, that's how we looked at it. So teleportation is probably too much, but uh, 3D printing and fabricating objects, why not? You know, right. So that was the approach. Recycling, maybe, you know, it's yeah. something that sounds possible. So that's, that's how we looked at it. Uh, yeah, and that, that, all that fabrication stuff is so cool in the game. It's so physical and right. Yeah, it's yeah, integrated it's really to the to the to the moment as opposed to be like a menu. abstract yeah. menu. Yeah, right. Exactly. But uh, so as far as references, we were looking at you know what can remind us of that of that, and so we're thinking of things like the Terry Gilliam stuff, like Twelve Monkeys, or uh, in the you know in the visual visual design, like sure. exposed technologies, uh, very raw, like with cables, and you can like kind of understand what just by looking at the device what it does as opposed to like a black box or something right uh, so those that was some ex- ins- uh, inspiration of course moon is uh, is an inspiration too uh, more for some of it for the mood some of it because there are AIs in there which uh, which is also important to our story mm-hmm. um, and there's also like the concept of identity in, in moon which is very interesting yeah. uh, that we find out towards the end of the movie. Uh, Total Recall because of the, you know, you, you, see, you see videos of yourself. Right, so unreliable narrator type stuff, right? Right, right. Yeah. And, and you don't know exactly if, you know, it, it creates some sort of questioning, you know. Uh, and, uh, I mean, there's even like some Groundhog Day in there because right. the beginning of the game, as, as if you've played it, you understand what I mean. Uh, so yeah, there are there are a few references, but this, most of them were not very. Uh, they, they were more like afterthoughts as we were doing these things. Like, oh, maybe we maybe we, we got this idea from that movie or whatever. It does seem also to like the, uh, the that your approach to moment to moment gameplay is is much more freeform and exploratory than other games, and even more than Dishonored, I would say. It feels like I was just sort of let loose, and I had a general idea of what I needed to do. But yeah. how I was going to accomplish that was kind of up to me. Yes, and uh, it was it was deliberate. We we really wanted the, this um, to set up that space, that's that place uh, with its all its history and its layers of stories that, that you as a player are going to have a chance to to peel and, and discover. 
but really it's all all those layers and in, including the layers of system and we never interrupt you there's no cinematic no blocking of, of, of the player any pretty much any anywhere really mm. uh, and it's it's a persistent world it's all contiguous so there's no concept of once you move here it's a new chapter so that's right. that's kind of feeling it contributes to the mood to the heavy mood in a good way hopefully uh, that we're looking to to create right Mm -hmm. uh, because you're always there, and at, at some point it becomes very, it becomes your, hopefully your new reality, your place, you mm -hmm. know, and you feel familiar with it, and you come back to where you were, and and uh, and and that that experience, <clears throat> that place belongs to you now. And I think, I think the fact that we never interrupt the player, or the when we talked about the fabrication system or the recycling system that is all integrated in the world itself and physical, and those objects fall, etc., contributes as well to that sense of immersion that was important yeah. to us. Yeah, I, I agree. It, it's a, it's definitely works, um, and it seems like the systems in the game contribute to the exploration as well. I mean. It was still very early in my playthrough of, of getting some of those powers, but you know the first one that you get is a very conventional kind of you know force push idea. But then very soon I was able to become any object in the game, right. and I feel like that in and of itself opens up a whole wealth of possibilities that I get to experiment with, and that I'm sure as developers you feel can reveal unexpected things that the players do. Is that yes. the idea? Yes, it is, and I think again because everything is is interlinked, everything is connected to each other as far as systems, and we we, we use simulation. We don't cheat as 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 developers. Mm. Uh, you get to sometimes experience moments that feel very very personal, very very um, unique, and that nobody else had. Like right. I, I'm thinking right now, you talk about the mimic power. Uh, and you can mimic pretty much anything. And so sometimes if you want to go somewhere and you look around and there's not the object that is small enough, and you look in your inventory and there's like a recycled material and you can like take it out of your inventory, drop it on the floor, mimic this, and then now become this wow. cube. And, that's and, cool. And just doing that feels like, oh, I'm smart. You right. Know? As yeah. a player, you think like, aha, uh -huh. you know, developer did not think about that. <laughs> right, right. And it's true, he did not think about that. It's just that we, we, we try not to cheat. We try to rely on the simulation and let the simulation work for us as much as possible. And, and when you say we don't cheat, that means that the, the AI in the game works on the same rules that the player works on, right? Right, yeah. Uh, the, the AI works on the same rules. The AI, we, uh, we try to script as least things as possible. Hmm. And, um, and, and everything goes. You know, if you find your way to, to, to solve a problem, as long as you had fun and it, was, it did not feel broken, then it's great. Hmm. And choice is a big thing. I, we, I encountered a very um, big choice of either killing a character or letting the character live. Uh, and, and I was given a lot of um, moral information about that mm -hmm. character. Um, is, is that a big part of the overall scope of the game, is, is making these kind of big choices? Yeah, we have a few of those. And, um, and in fact, all along, you're going to meet some other characters like this that are still alive. Um, and you'll see at some point the, the story reveals itself a little more and, and there are a variety of ways you could you could um, go for the endings and, and so all along those characters that you save some are going to be for one side some are going to be for another side now you're going to like some of those characters you're going to and sometimes you're going to like characters that from the both from both sides right now both sides that they the support are both valid it's not like there's a good and a bad one 
So you're gonna have you're gonna feel torn between like do I betray this guy or that that girl and mm. and uh, so it's something we like because it uh, makes you feel alive right it makes you feel something right uh, the the every every time that there is a uh, every time someone feels conflicted about something it's 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 a win for us. Well, I, I was very impressed with what I saw and and just the the amount of action mixed with what I felt was a very creative systems and my ability to sort of improvise on the fly. Um, I'm, I'm excited to see more and it's coming out very soon, right? We got May 5th. May 5th. Yeah. Two weeks. Yeah. All right. See you. Yeah. Well, thanks for talking to me. I appreciate Thank it. You.